Hello, hello, hello. On the Pilot TV podcast this week, it is our 200th episode of King's Place London. Oh, God. How many of you were here for the day section? I like you the most. How many of you have just come for the evening? You're fine. Um, Oh, God. So you did miss some great stuff. We had a quiz, Pilot TV won entirely fairly, which was great. We had some brilliant screenwriters in doing a kind of masterclass on storytelling. That was fantastic. Uh, we had a spoiler special, Empire spoiler special for She-Hulk. That was fun, too. And other things happened, honestly. Oh, we showed the capture. We showed the first episode of the second season of the capture, and it was great. How good was it? <laughs> It was that good. So, uh, but anyway, even if you are just joining us uh, this afternoon, this evening, whatever it is now, and you are obviously part-timers, but I do appreciate you coming out, as does the rest of the team. It is great to help us celebrate this landmark episode. Um, 200 episodes, that's wild, isn't it? Uh, I genuinely can't believe it's actually been 200. So, (laughs) when we started doing this, when Terry... Boyd and I did this uh, when we first did episode one, and this is absolutely true, our first episode. Has anyone listened to the first episode? I'm so sorry. So it was also a live one. Did you remember this? It actually was a live episode, and we did this at an ad agency in Hoban. And we did the first episode in a room full of 50 ad salespeople, which is exactly the audience you want when you're going to do a TV podcast. It was 29 minutes long. The edit must have been a fucking dream. Um... What did we do? Like, so we did, we had Killing Eve on there, the first season of Killing Eve. I think it was a preview, it wasn't even a review. We reviewed Michaela Cole's Black Earth Rising on there. We got very excited about the first season of A Discovery of Witches. Well, I got very excited about the first season of A Discovery of Witches, uh, which was quite fun. We had no music, the audio was genuinely terrible. Um, And the only thing I really remember, which is kind of an important one, is when we lost the audience. We lost the audience three minutes and five seconds into the first episode of the Pilot TV podcast, specifically when we started talking about Keely Hawes wanking in a doorway in Bodyguard. So I'm kind of like, set the tone early, you know, I think that's kind of the key to this sort of thing, and that's pretty much what we did. And it's appropriate because this week we've got someone wanking out of a window, so it is all thematically linked because this week we are going to be discovering what succession would have been like if Logan Roy wrote a dragon in HBO's Game of Thrones follow-up House of the Dragon. Uncovering the intimate details of who Steve Rogers... <laughs> See what it did there? Uh, in She-Hulk, attorney at law on Disney+, and being gloriously reunited with Baba Voss, Tamakti Jun, and the gang for the third and final season of C, which comes to Apple. You didn't think I would let that one go, did you? Uh, so that's pretty, pretty exciting. But before we do that, we have a few things. We have some guests. Uh, you all remember Gangs of London, right? So Gangs of London, of course, was slick, it was violent, it was one of the best action thrillers we've seen in years, and it saw Shopee Dorisu as undercover cop, Elliot Finch, and he infiltrates one of London's biggest crime families. Now, it's been two years since Gangs of London season one. Uh, I've got to be honest, I still haven't got over that farmhouse siege in episode five, which was amazing. Uh, But there's some really exciting stuff coming up in series two of Gangs of London, and we have perhaps got some of that to show you. Uh, But before we do that, you don't want me talking about this. You want someone far, far, far better place to talk about the wonder that is Gangs of London. So please put your hands together for Corinne Hardy. (laughs) 
and Chris Hewitt. Hey, everybody. Oh, don't give me fucking sympathy applause. Honestly, I'm doing Pilot a favor by being here on this stage. Hey, Corin, it's good to see you. That was like a pantomime introduction. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. He's behind you, yeah. which is pretty much the through line of season two. <laughs> I'm guessing that Elliot's going to be hearing that an awful lot. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you started with Panto? That's the main driving It would force. make a good pantomime, actually. It would make a good pantomime. Uh, you have a lot of stuff here. You've put something on the table. I yeah. can't help but notice your wallet is one of them. Um, have you brought some money for everybody in the audience? What's, <laughs> I'm paying everyone to be here. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I wasn't aware this was going to be a show and tell, otherwise I'd have brought something to show. All right, what have you brought? I've brought a few things, but I'm not going to show them until after what we're going to show. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. this is directly related to what we're going to show. Okay. Yeah, I just thought people might enjoy seeing a couple of props and things. Absolutely. I'm very, to. very excited about this. Uh, Thank you very much. Hang on Amazing. a second. Cheers. <laughs> what I mean, it's, it's evening time now, isn't it? It's <laughs> Sunday night. I mean, we should be at home today. This is Asian. unbelievable. So, um, so a huge fan of Gangs of London season one. And uh, you obviously worked in that show. Uh, at what point did. Did, you, did you know that the reins were going to pass from Gareth Evans, the showrunner, to you, uh, showrunner, for this, for this season? Well, it was uh, the first season was a real... Uh, uh, what is it like I, a, a step into the unknown for me because I'd yeah. sort of done feature films and horror movies and always kind of incorporated set pieces and action and things in that yeah. and had got to know Gareth over the years and he had asked me would I be up for doing like a, an episode of season one which at the time I was doing the, the, the Crow remake um, yeah. and uh, wasn't able to. And then when I wasn't doing that, I, I became available and Gareth asked me. And so I sort of jumped in what I thought was going to do maybe an episode or two, turned into three, then turned into four. And then um, I, you know, I really got kind of fell in love with the show and the world that we created. And um, it got, when it got released, it was just around sort of lockdown, just as that happened in April 2020. Captive audience seemed to like the <laughs> show. And, um, and, and they asked me about doing season two. And it was obviously a really... Um, was this as you, were, as you were finishing season yeah, one? Yeah, it was, it was just as we were finishing season one. Yeah. It felt like about, about this sort of time now, because I'm just finishing season two, so it was the same sort of thing, and, and we literally finished it, and then it aired. Yeah. And um, so it was very, very tempting, and, and, and then someone also said, you know, like you've, you guys have built the, built the playground, and now you can play in it, mm. someone said. And I thought that was, that was a really nice sort of analogy. And so it sort of literally didn't stop from the two years on season one strains of what's been two years on season two. So it's just been f a, a, a lot, a, an action-packed ride for nearly four years on, on this show. But that must be such a different experience then, because you have that experience of not, not being a hard gun necessarily yeah. on, on season one, because I know Gareth was very, very precise about the directors he wanted to direct yeah. alongside him, so yourself and Xavier Chance uh, yeah. as well. Uh, but you're still working with Gareth, and it's Gareth who's laying out his vision at, at, that, at that point. Then the reins pass to you, and suddenly 
this must be a completely different experience from the one you signed on. Is it? Was it an exciting one to embrace this? It was, of course. Yeah, and it was actually just like a. It was like a continuation because I'd got so sort of absorbed into season yeah. one, working really. I mean, we we didn't approach Gangs of London as. I think none of us have made television before, so we, we were from the start said, let's make, without sounding too pretentious, let's make cinema, like let's, let's make sure that everything feels like cinema and it doesn't feel like a TV show. That was sort of what we've always gone for in terms of the ambition and the scale of it and, and the sort of look and design of it. So it, it just felt quite natural to carry on the mission. And, and what again, when we were making season one, we didn't really know if what we were doing was going to work and whether people would enjoy it. But we, you know, we're all genre fans and we all sort of tried to make something that we would like to watch. And, and it seems like a load of people also felt that way. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the action sequences in the first season were incredible. I think that's, what, that's one of the things that sets the show yeah. apart. So clearly season two, sure. you're coming in, you want to hit the ground running or yeah. just hit something running? Definitely hit something running. <laughs> hit a few things, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the, that was obviously the magic sort of DNA of, of this show was this kind of balance of this, what you, a sort of grounded, gritty family crime drama in what feels like a real world married with a like heavy dose of genre, filmmaking, martial arts and sort of blockbuster action mixed with, um, you know, Korean revenge movies, <laughs> European crime thrillers, um, westerns um, and horror. And it was kind of merging yeah. all of those genres into it in hopefully a way that also just feels like part of the show and it doesn't sort of just change change gear, you know, it's yeah. all part of it. And, and I'm fascinated to see what you've done with it as well, but in, in terms of how you've infused the show with your sensibilities, because, you know, I was lucky enough to be on set of, of this season and I, I get to see, I got to see uh, Chopin, who plays Elliot. Um, you know, we talk about it in, in the next issue of Empire, yeah, but I'll, yeah. I'll tiptoe around it here. But strangle a guy to death, that's... that's so I got to see that. What which was that? Which I got him, you know, well, someone, you know, there was, there was violence. You saw a death. There was violence. Yeah. I saw a death. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a death. Uh, and it was, this is prop number one, by the way. This <laughs> can, is not this Can is anyone not figure out what's, what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> yeah. I won't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, Chris saw the tongues in action. So. Yeah. Do you want to, <laughs> should we hold, this is a strange sentence, Corin, but go with me. Should we hold the tongue up so everyone can see it? I will hold one of the tongues take, up. Take, take out one of the tongues. Yeah, this is exclusive because uh, these haven't been seen by anyone but my private collection. This is what I call the, the Total Recall tongue. <laughs> <laughs> or the Jabber tongue. So this, this scene, there's this guy being choked out and he, as he dies, his tongue protruded. And, um, you know, rather than actually killing someone for real, I was very disappointed he didn't do that, but hey-ho. We uh, did. The we effects did. guys made all these tongues for the actor in question. And so I got to watch, like, literally this Tupperware box, someone come up to Corin, like, presenting their lunch to him, going, what do you think of this? It's just a whole bunch of tongues in a box. There they are. Look at that. It's amazing. It is amazing. So I have that, to say... That gives you a hint. This isn't anything you're going to see tonight, but I just thought yeah. you might like to see some swollen tongues. Yeah, there's going to be some hot tongue action in Gangs of London Season 2. So even watching something like that and uh, what we're about to see... Uh, is quite horror-inspired, I would say. So you haven't put that side of yourself to one side with this. No, season. I mean when, when I think that, like I said, when when Gareth originally asked me, I thought if if he's going to get away with doing what he does, 
best maybe I can too and we can merge these these things together and um it, it when it that that kind of it's like a magic source of of, mm. of of gangs of london uh recipe and uh so in season two you know we had to continue that and and um build on what we had created in season one and continue the same magic source but also like not repeat ourselves so i've tried to you know conceive these kind of crazy set pieces throughout the show and that involves you know different sort of environments always and different obviously weapons or characters or fights or, but also genres so you know I I, I, I I kind of can't help but involve using a bit of horror in most of everything I do anyway um, and, and what you'll see in the sequence tonight will, will sort of show a little bit of, of the sort of horror genre creeping in mm. to, to Gangs of London and you haven't uh, skimped on the blood we as never, well. Never skip on the blood. <laughs> <laughs> Try to, but no. Uh, you know, well, I think I said to you, you know, blood is, is such a kind of reactionary, when it's used right, and it sounds, it's like a painting, you know, when you put blood on the screen, it really is like, it shouldn't be just used in, in abandon, although it can get splashed around. Yeah. But it's, 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 I find it's like such a radical color being bright red generally but i've spent yeah a lot of the last year in post just <laughs> constantly working on the practical blood and visual effects and all those final kind of tweaks to make it <laughs> hopefully you know what what you want but maybe as i said in that piece i think we might have gone a bit far we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> which was great because because these you know sky and amc have been like fully excited about the show and it's really rare i think to get you know, the chance to go quite wild with this stuff on mm. TV and not be, um, you know, censored and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, for people who may not have, may, may not really know what season two is about, where we're going to, where you're going to take us, can you give sure. us a quick overview of, yeah, of yeah. I'll, 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 I'll give you an overview. And what, what we're going to do is show you a 12-minute sequence in a minute. And, and you've all got a promise just for today not to film it or post like pictures about it because it doesn't come out until not very long not far off but and, and they, they're still announcing the date yeah but um and and, and it's a difficult one because i really want to show you it and your sort of exclusive audience watching this um so don't it fuck it up basically <laughs> it will slightly spoil um a little bit because you're going to see some stuff but i picked this sequence because yeah. it's also quite a contained one yeah um, so Gangs of London season two who, who's seen season one in here oh nice look at that hey. show of hands that's awesome okay so the others who didn't put their hand up you've got maybe a month or so to watch the whole <laughs> of that otherwise you won't have a clue what's and happening and there's what ten ep nine episodes there's nine, nine episodes. episodes yeah nine episodes yeah. so season two starts very much follows on from the kind of cataclysmic events don't want to spoil them now but the, the kind of literal and metaphorical crater that's left in the wake of the Wallace and Damani fallout that happened. Uh, it's a year later, and I don't know if you remember Asif, but he's been appointed the sort of the, the new kind of leader um, working for the investors to keep uh, like all of their business in London um, in order. And that means also keeping the, 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 the gangs that become more and more volatile after these kind of the, 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 the Wallace's have sort of scattered to the winds. So um, Asif's appointed a new 
kind of enforcer called Cobra, which is a, uh, a kind of new character in season two. You're going to get a very small glimpse of in this uh, what we're going to show you. And Cobra is there to basically get all the gangs and all the criminal activities um, going through them, Asif and the investors. But not everyone wants to agree to that. And some of the different characters from season one, all the ones that survived. Um, <laughs> are, that's, that's nobody, basically. <laughs> <laughs> couple of them. They... Um, they're at different sort of uh, levels now that the power sort of sh vacuum has shifted them. So, um, you know, Alex Damani is kind of heading up the Damani finances, but Ed Damani, who was kind of right-hand man to Finn Wallace, has kind of been um, sort of deregulated uh, down a step and, and doesn't hold quite as much power. He's, mm. he's become sort of almost working for Asif. And then um, Luan, the, the Albanian gangster has actually done incredibly well because the Wallace and Damanis are out of his way and he's progressed. So he's, he's got this new mansion. He, I don't know if you remember Luan, he's got his family, he's a very family-orientated character. He's bought this incredible mansion, but he's basically refusing to bend to Cobra's rules. So I had to tell you that because the sequence you're going to see involves him. And effectively a sort of punishment has been sent to get him back in line that's probably all i need to say absolutely and we'll, we'll see the clip in, in in just a second as well but um before we do uh i've got to ask about elliot and uh shopee derizu who is amazing phenomenal in mm -hmm. this um if you haven't seen going to london and you want to see a star arriving it you know just instantly on the screen watch episode one of uh, of gangs of london yeah. uh, and shobay just leaps off the screen and punches a whole bunch of dudes at the same time which is which is lovely yeah. and you know I've, I've spoken to you in the past i've spoken to gareth in the past about you know finding him and he's an amazing actor but once you realized what you had in terms of his yeah. physicality and what he was capable of yeah season two, you must have wanted to just wind him up and let Absolutely. him go. Absolutely. Definitely wound him up. Um, <laughs> you can't wind him up. He's so cool. Um, no, I mean, Chopin is, is an incredible human being, an actor, and also physical performer. And that was also part of Gareth's sort of mandate and what he's sort of become successful and famous for is finding actors who can perform their own action. And, um, you know, he, and he had sort of looked at different actors and, and vetted them and actually we did the same. But to sort of make sure that you can, these actors can perform roughly 90 to 95% of all of the, the stunts and action in, in, that they're required to. That doesn't mean there's not loads of stuntmen doing incredible work around them. But um, so Chopin, uh, yeah, he's, he's just like a sponge and he can, um, he can just learn anything. Um, I saw him on stage actually in a, in a, in a, a theatre show after season one and he was playing an American footballer and he had to perform a sequence in reverse in slow motion as an American footballer catching a football in one hand whilst balancing on one leg and he did it like in front of my <laughs> eyes and I was like there we go but um so yeah uh, and, and I would say as well you know to give credit as well to Orly who plays Luan in this he, he you know we, we had to also step up a lot of the actors because we wanted to also get you know we didn't want to repeat ourselves in yeah. terms of set pieces and we wanted to make sure other actors also got uh, their knuckles dirty a little bit. So 
Orly, who plays Luan in this, really also went through the absolute ringer to, to do what you're going to see. Amazing. Well, should we take a look? Yeah. Hell I mean, yeah. Imagine if they said no. You're going to see it anyway. If you uh, feel like you want an audience participate, if there's any moment in this you fancy cheering, that's also <laughs> all right. <laughs> if you want um, Corn will lob a tongue at you uh, at just yeah. random moments throughout it. Uh, where are we going to watch it? Are we going to watch it here? Or are we going to go backstage? We haven't figured this out, have we? Uh, sit on there yeah, yeah? okay if it, right. it's not loud enough shout louder because that bugs <laughs> me when it's not loud enough but i think it is they've done a tech check you're the man at the back i might do that if it isn't loud enough all but, right so uh, this is we, this is luan yeah. and um some home invaders this is the first uh, teaser that anyone's ever seen outside the trailers so i hope you enjoy it enjoy <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, so what's, what's, got, what's left? You're done. But what, what, what had to be added? I'm actually doing tomorrow. I've got a final day of post and, and literally like three little final days to oversee the, the, the rest of the completion of the last two episodes. Amazing. Uh, then I'm done. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see it. So, um, so what do you have here? Let's have a bit of show and tell. Well, I wanted to um, just bring this along. Just, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I grew up on... On, Did you come you know. here in the tube, by the way, the box of tongues and <laughs> yeah, this got, thing? We'll get some audience participation. We're going to do the last <laughs> sort of action set piece in here. No, Corn so will invade <laughs> one of your houses later on tonight. This was, um, uh, you know, the masks was something I'd, I'd been wanting to, to put into this uh, season to, to kind of create a, a sense of like a unified, like you couldn't tell how many attackers yeah, there yeah. were how many intruders yeah and have you seen the film like them ilf that yeah, yeah. Uh, you know yeah. flemish oh, movie freaky where well. you kind of yeah. don't quite know if it's one or, or more of it's you know and so uh, this was actually this uh i'm just going to put the mic down this was the uh, the old fork in the eye the old fork in the eye trick um and i, I this was a uh, one of the sort of many prosthetics that you know, we made gangs is obviously as practical as possible. The, the special effects, the explosions, the stunts, the, the, the blood and the, and the prosthetics and everything. And then there's, you know, visual effects involved as well, yeah. like making the magic work. But in, in this, in that moment when he stabbed him in the eye, um, it was, well, if you look closely, you can see there's a, a crack through this fork, um, which is a rubber fork. And it's... Uh, it was one of those moments that I, I, I wanted to mention just as an anecdote where Orly, who is a phenomenal performer, he's so natural and he's so kind of primal. Um, he, he, you know, we had three different forks. We had a metal one, we had a rubber one, we had a three-quarter one, we had this prosthetic. And um, it was this moment where the stunt guy actually had the, this prosthetic on and Orly just had to hold it to do that last little impact into the, uh -huh. into the kitchen um, fridge. And, and I was reminding him, you know, just, just on this one, you don't have to go full pelt. You just have to hold it and go like, mm, like the last bit. And he, he's, he gets into quite a zone and he was very kind of like super committed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, do you get, so it's just a prop, this one, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go three, two, one action. And, and, um, and this prop had taken a lot of deliberation for months to get it just right. And I go three, two, one action. And he goes, ah, <laughs> <laughs> and the fork did a kind of um, like one of those wily coyote, like, <laughs> and the whole thing uh, was, was broken and everyone just Blimey. went silent. And anyway, this is this this is that prop. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, Orly, Orly was in the zone. Uh, Orly sounds absolutely terrifying. I hope he's a very scary. I hope man. that we're not about to meet him anytime soon. No, <laughs> but because uh, we are, because we have one last bit of show and tell. Don't Do you want to meet Luan? Do you want to be the guy who played Luan? Please welcome Orly Shook, everybody. And Terry, if she's coming, Melanda. Okay, I love the shoot. Hello, sir. How are you? Please, please, please. Hello, Orly. everyone. Wow. Thank you for coming. And thank you for showing everything we did, you know. So. <laughs> it's always nice seeing you slaying a bunch of dudes with kitchen utensils. Yeah. How was that? <laughs> it's always emotional for me to see myself, you know, so it's a bit difficult to tell the truth, but yeah, looks good, man. Looks, looks impressive. You, you are very emotional character aren't you yeah I mean, that's correct and, and yeah, Luan it's so so grotesque character you know yeah yeah. <laughs> it's so dramatic as well because he's got family he's got kids he's got so it's emotional definitely he's a, he's a character who I think has revealed depths you wouldn't think that he has so much from him. his life you know so yeah. much on the past and so much in the future so yeah. he can show that and, and from, a, from an action point of view there's a, an amazing fight scene that you have in, in season one as well. In, in yeah, in the episode seven. Was that one of the things that made you think, all right, I'm going to give him a kick-ass action <laughs> sequence to start? Well, look, you'll see. Um, we put you through the, through the motions, through the ringer um, in season two. Um, Luan has his work cut out. This is just the start. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and then when we did this sequence, and it was really, you know, we, we pre-vised this, we planned it, storyboarded it. Um, had really fantastic fight coordinators, action designer Tim Connolly. Um, we did months of planning, all he did months of rehearsals, and, and it was all done just perfectly. But you still got absolutely covered in bruises, like completely purple. <laughs> yeah, when we did the pre-production, Corin called me and we had a meeting and uh, he showed me those storyboards and stuff and I said, God, this guy gonna kill me. Oh my God. <laughs> And the next day, he phoned me again and he said, uh, how good are you with swimming? What you, <laughs> how many minutes you can hold your breath, you know? I'm going to try, Corey, maybe one minute, maybe two, you know? So, okay, let's see that. <laughs> and the next one, he called me again, and how good are you fighting with mud? And, but we're not going to reveal that today, no? <laughs> but you did hold your breath. You, you practiced for two minutes, right? Yeah, that's correct. In the beginning, had, it was two minutes. For... It's actually just a money thing and a time thing. It's like you need the actor to be able to hold his breath for two minutes so you can do a take long enough by the time you've got the actor at the bottom of the swimming pool with some weights on to say action to start the fight sec section to, to get any good footage to come up for air in between. It's and they put the camera into the swimming pool, passing over to me, and I held, have yeah. to hold my breath you know, yeah. for such oh a long God. time. Well, and so presumably that, that, that could be quite dangerous. If, so you got divers on, on standby? Yeah, we got divers. Yeah, yeah. We, we did some practicing on them. Yeah. So we did but he's in a dressing kind of, gown. So you're fully weighted down. Yeah, fully weighted <laughs> because I was flowing up. <laughs> that was difficult to, to, to hold my, my partner, you know, to, uh -huh. to hold it down, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had to put weight and weight and weight. Oh, my God. And so what about this, Orly? What about this, this, this fork in the eye? I was just telling him about when you, yeah, when man, you, but when you broke my fork. <laughs> it wasn't my fault, you know. <laughs> you were in the zone. I had to perform, you know, come on. Yeah, yeah. So you got in the zone and you were you were focused. I was focused, you know. And if someone to, dies, they you die. Know, the camera was. 
I know it was a prosthetic, so okay. I wasn't okay. worried about that. Okay. Good, good, and the good. stunt guys are, oh my God, they're amazing, amazing. I learned so much from them. Yeah. Yeah, work a month with them, so. So what, what, what has the success of the first season meant to you? <laughs> Everybody knows me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they call me Luan, Luan, Luan. Uh-huh. And uh, such a great character we created together, you know. The, Corin is the master here, so he can explain more about the, the character. But I, I just, well, Luan has grown so much, you know. The, yeah, <laughs> all the scenes you're going to show up, man, it's, I think they speak for themselves, the, you know. I think yeah. you became the sort of, almost like the most lovable character in the show somehow. This like murder, I mean, this character's murdered families at weddings and yeah. everything, right? But you, yeah. you sort of put that aside because... He loves his wife and he loves his children and he and, right, and he would do what we would do. <laughs> yeah. If it came Everybody to Everybody does that in gangs, yeah, yeah, come yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. That's how you start by killing families you, at weddings. You see what that yeah. shopper? <laughs> Kills the entire family. <laughs> so come on, man. Absolutely. So I mean but so it, it's it's uh, he's a character who in some ways has become the heart of the show because Elliot's journey is a slightly darker one where he's beginning to lose a sense of what's right and what's wrong. Mm. And, and weirdly, Luan is the opposite of that, I would say. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I haven't seen season two I yet. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're trying to... Well, <laughs> don't you're trying to you're doing like a psychic thing where you, you start to <laughs> yeah, make me agree and tell you what that. <laughs> Sort of. Okay. Yeah, you're sort of there. I mean, I think you can see it. Like, you know, he, he's definitely like... He's, he begins season two in one of the highest positions and he's doing really well. And then quite early on gets... This, this takes his breath out of him to some extent. His wife is And taken. this is just the beginning, you know. Mm. His drama doesn't finish here. He started here, so mm. in his own house, basically. So, so this is a, obviously a huge set piece. This is the, I've got to let you guys go in a second. But this is obviously a huge set piece. Is it, can we expect something like this? Not obviously a home invasion sequence, but can, you know, have you basically gone, okay, each episode is going to have an amazing action sequence? Yes. <laughs> well, without, you know, look, we were really keen. I think, again, season one, what, what we kind of found was you ha- it has to be dangerous and unpredict- unpredictable. Yeah. And if you feel it's going in a certain direction, you have to, like, go, hang on a minute, we can't just go in that direction. Um, so, including set pieces, it's really important to the show and us and the, and the fans who love that stuff that there is... Yeah, some some a lot of action going on in the show. I don't yeah. want to like spoil anything, but um, but it's also really important that you don't just feel it like you know you're going to see an episode and then there's an action set piece and then you know that's the way it goes. So yeah. we 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 really tried to sort of keep a variety, um, not repeat ourselves, not repeat season one, and uh, come up with some new unexpected. Sequences, so yeah, that you'll see as you as you watch the season, uh, how it's gonna explode. I guess. Yeah. 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 All right. And uh, and uh, and Orly Corin said earlier on that he thought at some points he had maybe gone too far. There's no such thing as too far with Gangs of London, right? It's gone. It's gone too far this time. <laughs> <laughs> You said the right thing, dude. Well, on that note, <laughs> our show and tell is over. I hope you guys enjoyed the clip. Wait until you see it finished. It's going to blow your socks off. Yeah, Please give a- it up one more time for Orly Sugar and Corn Hardy, everybody.
thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Cheers, guys. Right, right, right. We do have another guest for you today, and our next guest is a man who should need no introduction. He is the star of what we do in the shadows, the IT crowd, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and the Mighty Boosh. He's done some incredible voice work from 8D8 in the Book of Boba Fett to Bubbles, the interdimensional dolphin in SpongeBob. Uh, he is perhaps most famous, though, for his role as Stephen Toast in the brilliant Toast of London, and more recently, Toast of Tinseltown. It has been an incredible 10 years since Stephen Toast first appeared on our screens. And to celebrate that fact, I am delighted to welcome to the stage the one, the only, Mr. Matt Berry. Hey. And Beth Webb. Should we give another cheer for Matt Berry, please? Sorry for being late. Well, I mean, Joe, James has teed us up pretty nicely. Part of the reason we wanted you here this evening, other than we just adore you, is uh, 20th of August 2012. Yeah. The pilot of Toast aired yeah. for the first time. And we're still going 10 yeah. years later. Has your relationship with the character toast changed from when you first conceived him to yeah. playing him now? Um, simply that I was too young, I think, when I first played him. So I had to be like greyed up and things. <laughs> Whereas now there's no need for any of that. <laughs> I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about that because it was co-created yourself and, and Arthur. What were those initial conversations that you were having when it came to him? Yeah, so... Now, I don't remember like the specific sort of turn of events because anything above five years just kind of all becomes sort of one night, if you know what I mean. So I'm, I think I was doing the IT crowd and Arthur came to watch and I remember sort of saying to him afterwards when we were, you know, getting pissed and all that, um, I've got this idea that if you like it, that's cool. If you don't, that's cool. Um, I prefer you did. <laughs> <laughs> and about a week later, I sort of told him what it was. And he came back the next day and says, yeah, I want to get involved with this. And that was that. And that was that. Yeah. And what... Because Toast is in itself just a... <laughs> It's such a state of mind, but there's so much else to the show. The world building, for one, I wanted to ask you about. The Colonial Club, his father's tallest castle in yeah. the entire world. Like, where did those ideas come from? With Because it's, it's London, but not quite London, as we know it, obviously. obviously. Yeah, I mean, what you've mentioned, a lot of them are sort of ready-made. Things like the Colonial, you know, that's, that's based on the Colony Club, yeah. which is now, I think, Duck Soup in Soho. It wasn't then. Um, it was piss soup. <laughs> that was terrible, sorry. I will improve. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of that I just kind of... Uh, because when, you know, even when we started sort of 2010 or 11 or 12, whenever it was, yeah. um, it, Soho 
doesn't look like sort of toast world. There isn't much left from the 60s and, you know, in the 70s. So we had to fake that in the, you know, we made out that those clubs were still going and that everything was in sort of walking distance, which it is to an extent, you know, a lot of the voiceover um, studios are still there. There's not as many as there was. Um, so, yeah, I just had to, you know, sort of fake all that. Um, yeah. So a lot of it was already done because I knew that world because I was interested in that world. And I just, I, I was on the sort of like tail end of that. All the big characters were sort of dying off. And those old studios, you know, even things like recording onto tape, where I've lot, you know, a lot of the old timers who I worked with when I first got into the business would say, are we rolling? Which refers to someone pushing on the tape and the tape kind of rolling around. And I used to think, you don't need to say that. It's, it's all like digital. It's done. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? That was still in the air, which is why Toast always says, are we rolling? You know, it's a hark back to those, you know, to those old, you know, to those old timers. Um, yeah, so to answer your question, um, a lot of the work was already done. And what is it that interests you about that world? You said that that's kind of the end for you. You were, you were interested in it. What was it that interested you? Because it's a lot more interesting than it is now. You know, um, it was it was a lot more kind of free, I suppose. I mean, the behaviour wasn't anything you'd want to be getting involved with now, but it was sort of interesting to do with a comic character. Um, you know, so for that kind of purposes for the purposes of like comedy I couldn't do it now because it's not interesting now whereas if I did it in the late 70s the early 80s or even you know from like the mid 70s that is very interesting because there's all kinds of shit that used to happen um you know with the likes of Tom Baker I'm sure people are you know sort of but not just him you know lots of other people when I first sort of started there was a I used to do things with a lot of older actors. If it was a um, um, a Radio Four thing, you know, that involved twelve actors, you'd get a few older actors, and that's where I got a lot of the um, inspiration from. Was those fellas like losing their temper, which <laughs> was always hilarious. I was just, you know, kind of glad that I wasn't on the end of it that often. But yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> was there, with, without going into specifics, I guess, was is there something that we've seen in the show that you've kind of seen first time? Everything. Everything <laughs> that you've seen in those voiceover scenes at the start. I don't know how many people have seen the show. I hope some. Otherwise, this is going to be dreadful. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, everything that's basically that you see there has pretty much happened. There's a few that have, you know, obviously been exaggerated for sort of comic effect but the yes thing that comes from me being asked i can't remember which newspaper it was i, I want to say the times but i don't know what it was anyway i had to go in and just say one word i think it was the times <laughs> and i was booked for an hour and obviously <laughs> and i'd got it within probably the second one that i'd done so then they had to, you know, try and sort of justify the money they'd spent on getting me for that hour. So I had to say it for an hour. <laughs> and saying that one word, you think you're going mad. 
So, you know, that was a real thing. Um, there was, he's not there anymore, but there was a guy uh, in one of the studios that whenever he talked, he'd take his finger off the thing. <laughs> so it'd be like, thing is, Matt, I think what we need is... <laughs> and he did it every time, and it, and it just used to make me laugh. It didn't make me laugh at the time. I used to do my head in, but, like, you know, it, I used to think it was kind of funny afterwards, and I put that in pretty much wholesale. I have to ask about the names in the show toast because you don't encounter a Nanslay or a Clem Fandango, sadly, in your day-to-day lives. What is the process for naming a character and are you constantly looking at objects and thinking that they can... No, it's not done that way. It's It's not done that way. No. um, Arthur and I, even if we're not working on toast, we'll send each other names all year round. (laughs) And it's... Usually, this is a boring sort of explanation, but it's the truth. It's usually down to my um, learning difficulties in as far as um, dyslexia. So when I see a name or a word, I get it wrong and my brain shoots to what I think that says. So it could be tomato, you know, or whatever. I'll just kind of fill in the gaps very quickly, and then I'll say it to myself. And if it works, then I write it down. And that's where quite a lot of it comes from. It's just me getting stuff wrong. <laughs> and Arthur, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> Do you have a favourite? Um, Iqbal Achieve. I've always <laughs> liked that. I like them all, to all be honest. Fantastic. <laughs> you compose all of the music for the show. Could you tell me a little bit about your process and the songwriting process as well? Because yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. Um, the theme itself, uh, which we redid for Toast of Tinseltown, but it's along the same lines. That was done for a show I did years ago before the beginning of this called Snuffbox. And we had a sketch in there where both of the characters went to see Elton John, but he was busy, but we could hear him from behind his door. And I had to come up with something that sounded like Elton John was playing his piano behind a door. <laughs> and it was the toast theme. And uh, I can remember at the time thinking, that works, that's actually not bad. I might, you know, sort of develop this, because this show's not going to go out or do anything. So. <laughs> um, so that's where that actually came from. And I can remember when I put that to, to Channel 4 and they saw the first rough pilot with that as the theme. And more than one of them sent me notes back saying, you need to change that. That's too sad. That sounds like some, some kind of drama. It does not fit, you know, what sort of comes afterwards. And I remember thinking, right, well, this is the first time where I've got my own show and it's all my own show. Do I, do I sort of bend, bend over? Or um, do I stick to my guns? Because I knew that it did work because for the simple reason I thought was that it's such buffoonery and nonsense. But at the heart of it, there is someone who isn't as good as he thinks he is and that is kind of that's kind of like tragic so I thought the music has to reflect that and I thought it did which is why I stuck to it 
And even after the first one went out, I was still getting notes back from them saying, you need to change that. I've watched it. I watched it last night and it doesn't work. I remember thinking, it's not going to change. So, you know, you needn't send these anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, you know, and it's been there ever since. And for the Tinsel Town, all I did was I tried to make it sound like the sort of wrecking crew, um, late 1960s Los Angeles. Give it that kind of twang. I don't know whether that worked or not. Maybe, maybe not. But that was my intention. <laughs> when did you realise that, aside from just being commissioned to make more toast, when did you realise that toast was reaching people and, and impacting people and people responding really well to it? Well, when he got nominated for BAFTAs, I suppose. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> that was the biggest shot. I mean, like everything I've done, I never think it's going to get, you know, sort of be on the pilot. Um, you know, and I was kind of ready to, to do, you know, to do, to do something else when Toast went out. I was thinking, it's, I'm being told by a lot of people, you know, that the idea is far too sort of niche. Um, so it'll either work or it, you know, or it's not going to work. Um, yeah, so it wasn't until, you know, it was kind of like sort of nominated for different things that I thought, well, you know, someone must like it somewhere. <laughs> And who's talk? It's so striking as well, visually, the music sequences as well, especially cinematic. Do you have points of reference with that? Do you have chats yeah. about that? Yeah, it's, it's so much of it is things that I love outside of comedy. I mean, everything I do in the comedy that I've made has got nothing to do with comedy and the references have nothing to do. I don't know that much about comedy, if I'm absolutely honest. Um... I'm not that educated. I haven't seen loads of comedy, I'm afraid. Um, you know, I can't sort of hark back to a, something from the 50s or 60s. or I haven't seen enough. But the musical sequences are Jesus Christ Superstar. Mainly because the film, which I always found, even as a kid, found very funny the fact that someone was two miles away and was kind of singing to someone who was sat here. And that kind of sort of blew my mind. I mean, it still does. The film is the trippiest thing I've <laughs> ever seen. So it was just doing that. Yeah. I mean, you say you don't watch a lot of comedy. An awful lot of comedians show up in your show, especially Tinseltown. How, for someone who doesn't watch a lot of comedy, are people seeking you out because they love Toast to, to be in Toast? Well, right you now? meet people that are in comedy. If you're in, you know, if you've been doing it as long as I have, you know, which is now nearly sort of, 25 odd years 30 years I don't know it's a while <laughs> not 30 yeah but quite a long time Same, yeah. Um, yeah you know you, you know you kind of meet people along along the way and you you know and you sort of get on with some people and kind of like their vibe for want of a American expression <laughs> but you know what I mean you know it's you know if someone feels right for the show then you know then you've got to let them you know kind of be part of it what does that look like when someone's right for the show? Do they have to have a certain sensibility or is it? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's easy to kind of take that buffoonery, as I described it, sort of too far and kind of gurn with it and sort of pull focus. Whereas you don't need to because the situations them, themselves are preposterous. So all you need to do to an extent is just sort of play them as true as you can. Because then that will look, that will look funnier, I think. 
if something ridiculous is happening, but you are kind of treating it as if it's absolutely, you know, um, not normal, but, it, you know, it's not the oddest thing you've ever seen, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, was Toast always going to make it to Hollywood in your eyes? Was it what, sorry? Was Toast always going to end up in Hollywood? I mean, we've had Toast of Tins yeah. down this yeah. year. Yeah, and the way that it's all kind of gone really sort of, really kind of helped because, you know, everyone had, you know, everyone that sort of works or has worked in TV, you know, or film, kind of got wind that TV was going to sort of catch up with film and there would come a point where you didn't know the difference if you turn something on halfway through whether you're watching a film or a tv series and about 15 years ago if you said that no one would kind of believe that you know that you know there's no way i mean maybe the sopranos you know when that sort of happened that was the first time where if you you know people were actually sort of swearing and it looked like it could be a film yeah and before that, there wasn't really, there wasn't really anything like that. So you know, when that happened, uh, it made Toast Journey, you know, so much easier because he could still be in TV, but he could go and do it over there. Yeah, you were working on the Star Wars, of course, in Tinseltown. Were you already working on? Because obviously, you were in Boba Fett this year. Was that aligned? Yeah. Were you actually working no, on that while you that were? That was pure coincidence. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> it looks like, I know, it looks like I sort of planned all of that. <laughs> but I didn't. That's just fate. <laughs> Kicking me in the... But yeah, um, I'd written that he would go to Los Angeles and then just provide the voice of something in Star Wars. <laughs> and then like two weeks after I'd written that, John Favreau says, will you come and provide the voice of something in Star Wars? <laughs> It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's insane. And I mean, what, what does the future hold for Toast, if anything? Are you willing to continue the journey with him? Yeah. Um, it's difficult to do new stuff sort of quickly because I'm in first position, which is a TV term, with Disney for a, a show, What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. So I can't do anything unless I'm sort of, you know, told it's okay by them or, you know, they've given me some sort of free time. So that governs most things. But I do want to do more. I want to keep him in the States, I think. And there's a few people who say, you know, it wasn't the same, but fuck them. I want to do it. I mean, yeah, you've, you've said that you've got two more seasons of what we do in the shadows. We're on season four now in the US, two more. Yeah, two more that we know of, yeah. 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 I mean, other than dueling with Mark Hamill, what has this show allowed you to do in your career that you've never been able to do otherwise? What, Toast? Uh, what we do in the shadows. I, would, um, I don't know. Like, I would like to say working with Larry David, but that was actually due to Toast. I don't think he knew what, what we do in the shadows was. He didn't care. <laughs> he was interested in Toast of London. Yeah. Um, you know, and actually wanted to be a part of it. That was the craziest day ever. <laughs> was getting the call saying, Larry David is interested in being in any Toast if you're doing any. And it's like, we were. Do you know what I mean? We were doing Tinsel Dance. It's like, yeah. 
That won't be a problem. <laughs> um, wonderful. I'm so sorry. I think we actually have to, to wrap up, but Matt, it's been such a pleasure to have you no, here. No, my pleasure. Absolutely. Wonderful. Guys, can we have a massive, massive... Thank you. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to every show that matters. And we've got quite a show ahead of us today. Uh, will it pass the Bell End test? Will it fuck, as Terry would, of course, say. Uh, and speaking of Terry, it is not just me that keeps the good ship pilot upright. There are, of course, other people involved in this as well. Uh, and tonight, for your entertainment, I am joined by three co-hosts, and yes, among them is a woman whose absence has been keenly felt on this podcast, especially when I start monologuing about some ridiculous fantasy series with no one to yell at me and tell me to shut up. Uh, she is, of course, Chesterfield's most famous scion, a woman who has a TV show of her own coming to Netflix soon, uh, in which she's being played, and this isn't even a joke, by Billy fucking Piper. I mean, come on. Presumably, as Lauren Social was unavailable, it's Terry White! <laughs> Hello, Terry. Hiya. I'm not saying... Have I you was, missed me? I'm not... No. I'm not saying... I was just sat in the backstage thing, but I ran and ran straight. Well, there was a bit where I went, you're on in two minutes, and she was like, what? <laughs> It's all good. Hi, it's all good. Hi, hi, hi. I've oh. never sat next to you. Have I ever sat next to you in a podcast? Yes, but normally we're on the other table because normally we're doing Empire ones and we're on that table and Chris is over here. I don't recognise your so. face from this side. Yeah, it's a different angle for you. It's Still fine. a bell end. Thank you very much. There we go. Who had one minute? Uh, also with us this evening, however, is a man for whom the cost of living increase is measured exclusively in the likelihood of his being able to afford a pair of Nike Air Yeezy One prototype trainers. Yes, I looked that up. Uh, it is our Supreme Chancellor, Mr. Boyd Hilton. I'm wearing some uh, Nike Air Max 90s, um, which were a collaboration um, with uh, Off-White. Um, a collaboration with Off-White? Yeah, which was a company, run by, color? A company run by Virgil Abloh, who right. was a very a leading um, sportswear guru who died sadly last year. But anyway, that's what I'm wearing. And someone tweeted about them earlier in the audience saying they're dad trainers. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> A, they cost me a fucking ton. Yeah, and very they're very expensive dad trainers. Yeah, now they're probably worth like about at least 500 quid, if not 750. So easy on the dad trainers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, Next Father's say, Day then. Didn't somebody say they would like... Dirty and they're a bit. They're worn. I don't. I don't. Yeah, they're not pristine. But they're, they're worn, and we work be, in Camden. I mean, yeah, but they've got a kind of off-white look to them, anyway. <laughs> anyway, just wanted to make. There that you go. Uh, last, but of course, no. By no means least, we are joined by a woman whose joy that She-Hulk was only thirty-five minutes long has only been slightly diminished by the fact that I made her watch no fewer than three fantasy-type shows this week. It is the dirty streamer, Beth Webb.
Hello. Hi, Beth. How are you doing? Did you see me and Matt Berry? Yes. <laughs> Did you see Matt Berry? Can Matt I just Berry say, it was, it was brilliant. I was in the audience watching it, and I've seen many, I've seen Matt Berry Q&As. I might have even hosted some Matt Berry Q&As, but that was definitely the best Matt Berry Q&A I've ever seen. It was Boy, yeah. thank you. Can I just say, while, we were, while he was waiting yeah. to come on, he was in his little green room, and he was, what's that noise? And he was playing the piano Beautifully. Stunning. Bit. That's it was like Gangs of London. It's Gangs of London got this like beautiful Elton John cover. And yeah. it's Matt Barry playing the piano in his yeah. dressing room. It Loved incredible. it. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very good. Right, should we start this this whole show thing that nah. we're here to do? I'm delirious God, by yes. this point. I honestly don't know what we're here for, but I'm fairly certain we start with something called Oh, that, there it is. It says on the screen. What we've been watching. Now, I feel that there's really only one place to start with here, which is a certain show called Better Call Saul, or in Beth's case, Better Call Saul. And uh, so is anyone here not seen it who wants to see it? Okay, oh, we will try God. not yeah, to spoil try. anything for that's you people, and we will speak elliptically and obliquely. Who wishes to go forth on their feelings about this? Terry's just looking at me. Never blindly. seen it. Never seen it. Excellent. Good start. We've um, had this conversation yeah. about 78 times in the course of our friendship I mean, slash working relationship. I love the way you've just taken... She's gone completely rock and roll. She's like, abandoned the mic stand and just Doing gone free, like, free form. Anarchy. It's anarchy. Yeah, it is anarchy. Um, yeah. uh, what I would say... Like, my non-spoiler Sorry, review uh, of breaking... of uh, medical stuff <laughs> is that it was... I think the finale was one of the greatest TV finales of all time. Yeah, I would concur. I would concur. Big words, because but words. big words. Because um, it kind of managed to weave in a no spoilers, but um, previous characters from. I mean, you know, everyone knows it was more publicised that characters from Breaking Bad would appear at some point, and they weaved those in, which were surprising and different and not what you're necessarily expecting from those characters reappearing, or some characters reappearing from earlier in the series as well. So there were like flashbacks. There was the whole everyone arriving back in Albuquerque to deal with their lives. Yep. Um, and just the way it the way it managed to incorporate everything as a fan. I think you wanted to know about. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, was fantastic. Yeah. And then the actual final few scenes. Like there's a courtroom scene with one of the Bob Odenkirk. I mean, yeah. just the way. Apparently, I did. So if you listen to the there's a, there is a podcast about Better Call Saul, the official Better Call Saul podcast, and Bob Odenkirk talked about how they, he demanded they reshoot that speech. So he did that speech for like a day filming it, and he wasn't happy with something about his performance that it wasn't subtle enough or something. So they went back a week later and did it again. They did the whole day again of him doing that speech, <sighs> and it, the, whatever they've used, the edited version is bits of the two different days filming and his the, his, the subtlety of his performance of that is incredible and then the final final scene was just like that little bit weirdly ambiguous and is it a happy ending or not I feel it by the way it is spoiler alert a as happy an ending as you could possibly hope for mm. considering yeah. the yeah. circumstances yeah. but in a not in an, in any way sentimental way in a very believable authentic true to the whole tone of the show and the characters so I just thought it was like magnificent I couldn't I had no complaints about it was I mean the way it was shot there's a scene in in prison again I'm not going to say with between two characters right towards the end there was like one of the most beautiful shots from like the Maltese Falcon or like a classic film noir with Humphrey Bogart and Ren Cool or something yeah. it was just incredible so everything about it was unbelievable absolutely unbelievable there's something um that I thought was pretty extraordinary part of it's filmed in black and white there's a the whole segments that that are completely devoid of color 
which is what black and white means. And um, Thank you, Beth. <laughs> there, there is just something magnificent. There's the, the court scene is filmed in black and white, and you can't see um, Jimmy, and he'll always be Jimmy to me. I think it like it's such a like telltale sign of your character if you see him as Soul or Jimmy or Gene. And uh, Jimmy is, is giving a speech, and he's in a suit, and you can't tell what colour the suit is. But in an earlier episode, which is also shot in black and white, they make reference to gold food colouring on some deviled eggs and you can sort of catch the same mm. tone. So the setup for the fact that Jimmy is no doubt wearing a resplendent bright gold suit because it's referencing some de- deviled egg snacks that are prepared earlier is pretty phenomenal. That's my weird take on it. <laughs> it's a good take. The other take is that we nearly didn't get this finale. I think there's something so poignant about the fact, and I was watching it, my partner's out here, I'm going to embarrass him. We were both sobbing over our coffees at about 8 a.m. in the morning because we didn't want it ruined for us. We got up super early and watched it. And it's, there's just something so miraculous to the fact that this finale almost didn't happen, that Bob and Odenkirk had a very severe heart attack and we very nearly didn't get the ending to the story, which would not have been the biggest tragedy. The biggest tragedy would have been we'd lost Bob Odenkirk. But he pulled through and we got, as you say, this completely perfect end into a, just a wonderful, wonderful show. The, to me, the, the, the writing is wonderful. The performances are what make the show what it is. And it doesn't stop with Bob Bain and Kirk. It's, it's an incredible, incredible group of performers. But, wow. Yeah, Ray Seahorn, has, has anyone who listens to the podcast will know that their podcast, I always th- thought it was really R-H-E-A, but it's Ray, pronounced Ray Seahorn. Fascinating True. fact. Ray Seahorn. James, there you go. Yeah. You're I, I can't wait to see what she does next. I can't yeah. wait to see she, what she like, does next. She has this sort of method of micro-expression acting. Oh, yeah. And during the courtroom scene, just completely, you say completely emotionless face, but the micro-expression, everything you need to know is written on her face, and it is so incredibly subtle. And I think... Like it's not a grandstanding episode. It's not. It's not the final episode of Breaking Bad because this isn't Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad was a big, exciting, dramatic, action-packed series, and yeah. so it had a big, exciting, dramatic, action-packed finale. And what this had was an incredibly subtle subtext, written just incredibly below the line. It's almost like a micro-expression finale. The whole thing was like a nod and a wink and a whisper and a hint of something. Yeah. Nothing explicitly said, and it was beautiful. And the thing that kind of stuck with me is that Bettercall saw had no business being good. Like, not even great. It had no business being good. This was a one-dimensional joke character brought in to Breaking Bad because they thought it had got a bit dour. So they brought in Bob Odenkirk because they thought they needed a bit of comic relief. Like, this should not have been good. And when they announced this series, I couldn't give a fuck. And, you know, and it took me a while to get into it. Obviously, thank you, COVID. That was helpful. Uh, but you get to the end of this, and you're like, this is an absolute masterpiece. What Peter Gould did with that final episode is incredible. And you're right, Boyd. Like, there was a point where we were saying, well, you know... The series finished like three, four episodes ago, and now we've got to sift through all this shit. But that's not what it was, wasn't it? Like, it, it's, it is a story of multiple parts. We had the story of Jimmy. We had the story of how Saul was created, the, the reasons behind Saul's creation, and what problem Saul's existence was a solution to. And then we needed to understand what happened to Gene and see how this story yeah. came full circle. And it just did that absolutely beautifully. I'm like, this was a proper thing. I finished it. I was like, yeah, perfect. No notes. Done. Mm. Like, just absolutely stunning. <laughs> They're relieved. And they were relieved. They're relieved I mean, that I they had that. no notes I sent that to Peter Gord. I said, yeah. no notes. No yeah. notes. Carry on. You can just put that on now. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Anyway, good. It's great. No, it was absolutely perfect. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah, it was yeah. a wonderful thing. But, but like, so are you saying... Right, for those of you who have seen it, let's have a show of hands. Who thinks Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad? 
not as many as I thought. Not it's quite many. a lot. That's a lot. I think. As, there's no, like, Considering not people. everyone had seen it. No, fair so, enough. Well, okay, so, so I don't know that it's better. I think it's more subtle. And I think in many it's ways it pulls off an incredible feat. And I read an interview with Peter Gordon who was talking about this. Like, so, you know, the, so when, and this isn't a spoiler because there's an episode called Breaking Bad, but when the episode where you get <laughs> Jesse and Walt come into the show in the army. So Terry's like, I don't give yeah, a fuck. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Bear with me. You'll watch it eventually. So the bit where they're in the RV and, and you see that episode from the, so the Breaking Bad episode of Better Call Saul, which references the Better Call Saul episode of Breaking Bad. I went back and watched that original Breaking Bad episode straight afterwards. And there's that bit when he's like, no, oh, it was Ignacio. It was Ignacio. Do you work for Lalo? And I'm like, they spun an entire fucking major spine of this out of a bit of throwaway dialogue that just meant nothing on the day and it was just like fucking hats off to you honestly just absolutely <laughs> incredible yeah it was good Terry we liked it do you know what I actually feel quite moved hearing you talk about yeah. it it's a weird emotion I'm having like but this do you know what this reminds me of when you sold the West Wing to oh, me sorry. and once I'd stop saying yeah, once I'd stop saying uh, there's no way I'm going to watch it because you've told me to and actually did watch it it was the single greatest viewing experience and TV experience of my life to date. And your whole life is downhill now from that point. <laughs> because you can never watch The West Wing again for the first time. I don't. I, I, don't I, I did that realisation recently and I was devastated. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. But, <laughs> but actually, hearing you speak like that, I'm going to go and watch it. See, obviously you would know this because you clearly have never missed an episode of the Polity for Podcast since you left. But oh no. No. So 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 I hadn't I wasn't watching Better Call Saul when everyone had been nagging me to do it and I was just like, oh you know what I need to do? I need to catch COVID and then I'll watch it and literally the day after I caught COVID. And so that's what I did. I binge watched it all through that. was my COVID experience with Better Call Saul. Is this so. a show though um, that Terry that you haven't deliberately have not watched because everyone's been banging on about it and annoys you? Yes. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of examples. Of Valuable insight into Terry's yeah, mind. Yeah. Because do we want to was... run down the list of uh, brilliant things I've missed yeah. out on because I'm a pain in the ass? No, no, no. I didn't mean like that. I meant, but you get to them eventually. When because yeah. funny enough, as Matt Berry was leaving, I was had a chat talking to Matt Berry, and he's just started watching The Sopranos, and he was saying he's just started watching it because he doesn't want, never want to watch something that everyone's banging on about at the time. <laughs> he wants to wait like ten years, and, and you're a bit like that, I know. Yeah, and when I and I felt there was a weird thing when I watched The West Wing where I felt like I was. The first person ever to watch The West Wing. <laughs> Do you know? Like, it was such a, pu- a weirdly pure... And there was no noise around it because everybody else had watched it like 20 years ago. decades ago, yeah. And it was really... And I, was, I felt like I was in this weird bubble and it was the most perfect way I think I could have watched that. Mm. That might have been my favourite time when you were discovering it for the first time and you'd like, you'd like, could be like, I've just seen the one where Josh and the thing and the stuff with the therapist. And I was like, yes. So good. So such good. an insight into your psyche. Oh, yeah. Yes. That, that is true. That is true. Which character is James Josh? Yeah, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so, so, what have you been watching, Terry? Tell me what you... I know what you've been watching, but I think you should tell everyone here what you've been watching. Do you? Yeah. Oh, no, I texted you last You texted me oh, and you yeah. told me. Um, so, to prepare for the House of the Dragon, um, I decided to start watching Game of Thrones from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Because anybody um, who used to listen to Pilot um, will know that I was always given the task, there may be a theme running here, which we'll see later, always given the task of uh, reviewing the fantasy shit I had never watched before (laughs) when it was coming back for a new series. I had no expertise, no knowledge, no reference points, had no idea what I was talking about. Never not funny. Purely for James's entertainment. Um, 
And every time I, I had to watch a single episode and review it, I'd think, oh my God, this is fucking brilliant. This, um, but again, then James would start talking. I'd think, I'm not giving him the fucking satisfaction. Was, it, <laughs> was it the 13 minute monologue about Game of Thrones that pushed you over the edge? I mean, there's many, 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 many things pushed me over the edge, James, but that was one of them. Um, <laughs> but, but I've decided to um, embrace it. And fuck me, right? Oh my God. What? I mean, I don't want to ruin when we talk about the House of the Dragon because certain things are. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> special effects. Have you heard of them? Oh, my God. Um, and Daenerys... I mean, the whole... Um, the, the scenes with the husband and the brutality and the, the And the heroes are from the north. I, mean, I, I like that bit. Um, <laughs> Sean Bean. Being Sean like, Bean. Sean Bean, a bastard. Oh. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm obsessed already. Um, utterly, utterly obsessed. Where, where are you up to? I'm uh, halfway through season one. Um. <laughs> it all kicks off. That's why everyone kept tweeting me weird stuff, and I was going to go- like Google it, and I thought, no, I'm going to enjoy the experience mm. of coming upon it. Probably shouldn't say that about Game of Thrones, <laughs> should I? Anyway, so, so anything else? Anything else you wish to talk about? Uh, a couple of things. So, has anybody seen the Diana documentary on Netflix? Right, bear with me. You're all like, what the fuck is she? Like, what you, Nana watches a Diana sure you, documentary? The one on Netflix, not the one on Sky. Sky documentary. The one on Sky. Yes. yes. So, not Netflix. Not no. Netflix. <laughs> right. The no. one on... Thank you, Boyd. Always yeah. there fact-checking us. Um, <laughs> and I read about this, and it's this documentary of, of Diana that has no narration. It has no words in it whatsoever apart from um, within the original footage. So the entire thing is stitched together and tells the entire story of Diana's life since coming into the public eye until her death through these news footage clips, you know, the panora- uh, snippets of the Panorama interview. And I first heard about it and I thought, that sounds like rubbish. Why would you want to watch that? How do you even begin to sketch an arc? Isn't it just like loads of bits of video stitched together? Whoever, and I probably should look this up, whoever edited this and did the score, it is absolutely the most incredible piece of... I mean, just the, the edit team on this, Jesus, it was really emotional. Not even, I don't even particularly like Diana. Like, I mean, I've got nothing against her, but, you know, it's not something... Again, she's devastated. But... <laughs> yeah. It's not something... Um, she's not somebody I ever, you know, felt big things for, but there's something so moving and compelling and captivating about telling a story like this and it feels like this new frontier of documentary making if you remember when Senna came out and you had this you know you didn't have the traditional talking heads and then you think about Amy and you think about the ways that documentaries of formers have been moved on and the way we've told these stories just watching this entire thing without any editorializing without any narration i just you know without an irritating fucking talking head who knows now and has been paid 50 quid to sit there and spout bollocks i found it incredibly moving and incredibly affecting um and if you haven't seen it i do recommend it even if you don't like diana princess of hearts <laughs> of our hearts princess of hearts. oh who the fuck knows yeah <laughs> and can i just mention because it's going to annoy you um i finally got around to watching breeders season three oh. Yes. Now you're talking. It's brilliant. Yes. It is, and we agreed. We, you and I had yeah. a similar opinion on the first yeah. season. I was like, if that was a working class family on a council estate, they'd be ringing Childline, and those kids would be taken away, and nobody would be thinking it was funny. It's true. And then I, I um, 
knocked the chip off my shoulder, only momentarily, obviously, and then watched the entire thing and season two. And it's the writing, I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable in places. The writing is absolutely fucking impeccable. Martin Freeman is amazing and terrifying. Daisy Haggard is just, I mean, a goddess. And I just thought season three was brilliant as well. And I know you hate it, but... Well, no, so I actually didn't hate season three. Oh, I've come why? around on season three, but I'm never going back to season one. But uh, I, 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 but James yeah. was traumatised by. I was too traumatised by yeah. season one. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, a trigger uh, word. We've yeah. we've yeah. 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 That's like that's it. That's it. No, yeah. enough. Yeah. Stop. Well, I, I rewatched season one, and it's brutal. It is brutal in a way it isn't now. It's really yeah. quite shocking still. Um, but yeah, I loved it. That's all. Okay. Good. Uh, can I ask a question of specifically you two over here? Have oh, you watched gosh. the two? Bonus bits of the Sandman. Yes, I have. Obviously have you? not. No, no. So, so no. I see, Beth. So you say this. You say this now, and yet I think that this is 100 percent you because, like, it's a dream of a thousand cats, and I feel this is where your uh, interests yeah. and my interests yeah, yeah, collide yeah. Yeah. in yeah. perfect harmony. Yeah. It's the Sandman. It's cats. Yeah. It's everything. Yeah. It's all animation right. as well. You're a big fan of animation. Okay. Yeah. Well, That's so right. is James now. Apparently. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. I'll give it a spin. If you tell me to. Did you turn your around, boy? Do you now think, is it your favourite show of the year now? No. But <laughs> I enjoyed, I enjoyed both, uh, the, both half hours of yeah. this hour-long Calliope episode. and the, the cats. The cats thing, I mean, <laughs> it was beautifully animated, I have to say. It looked great. It looks great. It's Here got, we go. It's got loads of... No, I, I enjoyed it. But the point it was making, the, re, the reveal at the end of, of, of its main point, I did find comical. And I'm not sure it was, how comical it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be like moving and amazing. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of silly. And then the Calliope one yeah. um, with Arthur Darville, who's great. The m- thing I most enjoyed about that, I thought the central storyline was neither here nor there, but I really enjoyed the kind of, it has a lot of things to say about publishing and about the desperation of um, writers to please an audience. And there's loads of stuff about kind of faux feminism of his character and all of that. I thought that was very entertaining and um, well observed. And I'm enjoying, I enjoyed the whole, th- I'm enjoying, I enjoyed the whole thing. It's just the idea that it's some kind of masterpiece is absolute nonsense. It's just, it's absolutely fine. I enjoyed it. But <laughs> it's fabulous. Yeah. Um, all right, fine. So, so what, what, what have you been watching instead then? Right, I've got a list, obviously. Of course you um, Obviously. I'll try and be quick. Um, have you watched Marriage? I was assuming you, you'd have watched. Oh, that's up your Mum's been, where's mum? Yeah. Mum's been watching Marriage. I've, no, I started it and then, then yeah. my child appeared and sure. I had to. Parent. Sean Bean, Nicola Walker, talking about Sean Bean from season one of uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, but the, I watched the final two episodes, which I think go out tomorrow, Monday and Tuesday, I think, or maybe they go up tonight. No, tonight, Sunday and Monday. They will be on my player. And it's just a fantastic thing. You will love it. Just its micro observations of the daily challenges of married life. Um, there's a scene in episode three where he goes to buy some hair gel and it's, oh, that's all I'm going to say about it. It's absolutely magnificent. It's just got everything you want from a piece of observation about the way people behave and what they're looking for. It's just fantastic. So marriage is brilliant. Almost nothing happens and yet by the end of it, you're like, this has been the greatest insight into relationships, people, just the way people behave with each other. It's fantastic. Um, then there's all these finales. I mean, we did Better Call Saul, but there's we also did. For All Mankind finale was on Friday. Still haven't seen it. Still haven't seen it. You'd love it. Still loving it. It's on the it. list. Uh, yeah, it's on the list. A, a, a spectacular finale. Quite pushing the boundaries of what would be um, believable, I would say, in the story. Um, yeah, for anyone who's seen it. But goal, I thought it got away with it. There were some kind of quite melodramatic moments 
but it's got a quite spectacular ending, which then leaves you thinking, how the fuck do they come back from this? Um, because they've, they've jumped 10 years every series of For All Mankind, and how they're going to do that in the next series, whoever knows. But uh, st- still love it, magnificent. You will love it by the time you finally get around to it. Westworld finale, I thought, was a disaster. Oh. I hated it. <laughs> you hated it? Couldn't st- it? It ruined the whole series. Well, so I completely okay. enjoyed what okay. was happening. Is there anyone here? Okay, no, we don't want to spoil Westworld. <laughs> right, can you navigate this without... Yes, I won't spoil it. All right. I'll just say this that I was kind of just beginning to understand what the hell was going on while enjoying the whole, this whole season. Um, and then the finale, just, just a lot of people spouting absolute nonsense and trying to explain everything that's happened so far and what's happening in this fi- final episode in the most ridiculous, high, f- just, just kind of vague... It's all very vague and it's it just infuriating. I find it absolutely infuriating. Pompous kind of... <laughs> It really ruined the whole series for me, yeah. It was a disastrous, a disastrous finale. One of the most annoying series finales I've seen for a long time. Oh, see, I didn't have that reaction at all. Like, okay. I, I kind of, I was underwhelmed with parts. I think partly it's just due to the fact that there's another season coming, that there's one more season to go. And I kind of feel like there was an opportunity here to send the show out on a high if they'd sort of taken some slightly different narrative yes, choices. Yes, and they didn't. And they didn't. They instead set up another season. Yeah. Uh, which maybe didn't work as well. But I didn't hate the episode at oh, all. I quite enjoy a bit of spelling nonsense, as you'll probably yeah. be aware. So I didn't actually object to that too much. One detail, I'll try not to spoil it, but you're, you're led to believe the whole planet, basically, yeah. aren't you? Humanity yeah. is everyone. I and mean, this is a spoiler, I guess, but... Uh, you guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 they didn't show it. They didn't kind of. They didn't show you. They didn't dramatize that in I mean, any way. They kind of kept saying it. And yeah. You're like, really? This thing has happened. They do make so these comments about this stuff. is the whole world. You're like, well, we've only seen three square yeah. city blocks. We've literally so it's, it's seen just, really. The action is played out in yeah. like not even all of New York, just like a bit of Manhattan. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> of Manhattan, like, like a tiny corner yeah, by the river. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's it. It's like you know, it's mm. astonishing. I just like didn't know one at any point. Go, you really going to have to show this huge epic six yeah. billion people affected by this thing? Yeah. But they just didn't bother. No. I just thought like. How did that happen? No notes. You're talking to me. I've written your writer's discussion before. Someone needed to send them notes, I feel. Lisa Joy, whoever. Boyd has notes. I have notes. If you are Lisa Joy or Jonah Nolan, yeah. please do get in touch with Boyd and he will yeah. fix things Thank for you. Thank you. Um, Only Murders in the Building finale airs this week. Oh, it's great. That's all I'll say about that. Oh, I need to Fantastic. catch up on that. Loving it. And but the new show that I wanted to mention, there's a new show that arrived on Netflix on Friday. You know, every now and then they do this. They, not much of a pre-announcement buzz about this show. They just kind of let it arrive and they don't really pay much attention to it. But they barely give us screeners or anything. Like, I didn't even know about it enough in time for us to consider reviewing it. It's called Echoes. You're going to love it. You're going to love this, right? <laughs> this is the premise of this show. And, and by the way, this is going to sound like a spoiler, because, but all the pre-publicity, all the notes, like the press release that Netflix did send out eventually mentioned this premise but you don't they don't actually explain it until like way into episode two but i'm going to say it anyway um it's 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 about identical twins lenny and gina adult identical twins played by michelle monaghan from the mission possible films she's she's good and um one of them's disappeared basically that's what happens at the beginning but what what you find out is these identical twins they swap lives once a year and have done so for their entire adult lives. What? Yes. So that partners, one's got a husband, one's got a long-term So for partner. the whole year, yeah. and then they swap the next yeah. year and go Without back. telling their partners and oh. families that one's got a daughter, they don't <laughs> tell them. They just, for fun... <laughs> Swap lives without telling anyone. This is genius. It's That's, this brilliant. is prestige parent trap. <laughs> totally. It's prestige parent trap. Well, it's not prestige, though. 
It is. It's hilarious. Michelle Monen, Matt Bomer plays her husband, plays, plays the husband of one of the twins. Daniel Sajita plays the partner of the other twin. It is, and it is hilariously <laughs> awful, terribly, unbelievably stupid, but brilliantly entertaining. It is one of those rare, one of the, every now and then, like every six mm. months, Netflix does a bonkers, bullshit, <laughs> luna, lunatic Behind thing. Behind your eyes yeah. level. Behind yeah. your eyes. It, exactly. I That's, must watch this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I must watch this. I can't believe I had to sit through 58 minutes of C and you've been sitting on yes. this. Oh, yeah, you've been sorry. sitting yeah. on the gold. I, know. I suggested it, to be fair. I said we could do Echo. Yeah. So he was like, no, we've got to do C. because yeah. joking? Yeah. More yeah. comedy yeah. value in C, apparently. So. Yeah, C yeah. fascist over there. Not, not happy with 20 questions about his bloody favourite TV <laughs> in the quiz. Wouldn't let us... Yeah, so Echoes, it is astonishing. If you've got Netflix, you've got to check it out. Fucking mad. And my, my, I might particularly want to mention, Karen Robinson plays the sheriff and she is having the time of her life. <laughs> you've got to see five seconds into her performance, you're going to love it. It's, it's truly brilliantly. I've only watched two episodes and I can't wait to watch the rest of it. So that's what I've been watching. My, my big takeaway is Echoes, though, on Netflix. Go for it. Okay. I'm going to pour a big, like, rosé next week and watch yes, that's what you want. Echoes. That sounds amazing. Beth, any others? Or are you all good? Did you watch I Am Groot? Did I watch more? I, I didn't, but I would really, really like to. We ran a really fun interview with the uh, director of the show who described Groot as a bad little baby who loves mischief. And I thought that was just such a wonderful description of Groot. So I'm gonna, I am going to go and watch it. It seems really bonkers and fun. Yeah, they're um, five-minute episodes. You'll be fine. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. How, how is the big boys watch going, by the way? Are you finished? Yeah, finished? Jack Rook, who was here earlier. Yeah, brilliant. Loved it. Loved it. Loved all, loved the, every uh, second, loved all yeah? the episodes of the big boys. It yeah. was, was great. I may destroy you. Yeah. Enjoyed, enjoyed all of those things. <laughs> yeah, classic. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, let's move on now to the next section, which is, I don't know, what's the next one called? What do we got next? It's this is I don't remember what listen I called the question. Oh, it's a listener question. We just yeah. called it listener question. So we are going to have a Q and A at the end. This is not that. So we wanted to do one that had been submitted. Uh, so kind of uh, yeah. So we had a chance to think about it. Not that we've actually done any of that. But anyway, so this comes from the Dread Pirate Dwyer, and his uh, his question was: What are the Pilot TV Pod team's favourite shows? It's not relation. God, is that you? No, I am not the Dread Pirate Dwyer. I would be the are Dread Pirate Dyer. Uh. Okay. Yeah, it's not another awful pun round where it's just all about me. That was like, we've done that section. It's fine. No, this is this is what are our favourite shows since the pod began, and have any of the eligible shows become all-time favourites? So obviously, the Sandman Boyd, clearly a masterpiece, <laughs> definitely our pick. No, it's brilliant. No, no. Well, I may destroy you. you just mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah, obvious fine. example <laughs> of a show that I remember when we watched it and we were pretend you couldn't watch it. You literally could only come back get past one episode. I watched two actually. Did you? Yeah. Okay. I went back and watched another one. When did the podcast start? Hmm? When did the podcast start? When did the podcast start in 2018? 2018. Okay. Hmm. Okay. There you go. Okay. When I said we'd prepared for this question, yeah. I may have. Oh. I may have overstated. It's coming things. fresh to our baby ears, isn't it? This. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sex education is pretty great. Yes, that's on my list, definitely. Yeah. And that is, that is for me, that is like an, an all-time one. I don't think that's going to go out of my, my favourite list anytime soon. It's that's very a great sweet, show. yeah. Yeah, love that. I've got four um, Apple TV Plus shows that all begin with S. <laughs> Severance, Servant, Slow Horses, and Shining Girls are all... Magnificent. What, they what, are what are you all magnificent. Give me that look for. What's the one you don't like? Or two? Well, no, the biggest disappointment for me was Servant. Oh, yeah, but it picks up again. First season. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> so gutted. Should I, should I go yeah, back go and back. revisit? Yeah, go back. It gets really good again. Yeah. I would go Ooh, back. Oh, I hate Susie. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 He was going on to do wonderful things with a certain wonderful person on this. You know stage. what? I think I went back and had to look at all our episodes. I think the second episode, ever episode, I think I may have got this wrong. You know what we reviewed? Do you remember? Oh, let me remind you. It's Fleabag series two. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. But you can't have Fleabag. What? Because Fleabag Why? started. Fleabag itself predates the podcast. So that is in violation right. of the premise of the question. Okay. Oh my god! Right. Has <laughs> <laughs> Sex Education already started as well? Yes. Hmm? I think it has. What? Sex, sex education. education already started as well. I don't think it did. I think it did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it didn't. Um, I've got, I've got a list and I've got a slight deviation on the rules. Funnily and as enough. I said earlier, I'm no longer contractually obliged, so therefore I'm the only person who can break oh, here the we rules. Go. Right, okay. So, <laughs> uh, shows from Pilot's Lifetime that are great and have ended up on my list. I May Destroy You, like... Yeah, second yeah. best show of... Uh, don't even, I don't, don't want to have that day again. Don't. We've literally been having it for two years, but you are absolutely fucking wrong. I still think it is one of the most um, transgressive and disruptive and uh, difficult pieces of television I've ever watched in my life. I think what, it do, what it's done to the form, how it challenges the medium, I think everything about it, its depiction of trauma, yeah. like just, I just think it's honestly a piece of television that we'll look back on in, on in years to come and just be gobsmacked at how radical it was and how radical she is and what she's done. She's just amazing. Yeah. Um, Virtues, right? Yeah. That was in our lifetime. Big, yeah. Big Terry energy. Yeah, a big very t- big Terry <laughs> energy. Mm. The, yes, there's, you know, abuse. Stephen Graham, abuse, and, all of it, yeah. Stephen Graham <laughs> in a hedge. Um <laughs> Entirely me. Sh- right, Sherwood, which is a... Re- and, yes. and I don't pull that face at me. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it because it's in a pit village? I had to fight to get, sh- uh, to get um, that into the top 20 of the year with this yeah. idiot. Don't, Sherwood, don't a magnificent... Don't think I didn't notice how low yeah. down the list... What was it, like 17 or something? Higher Ridiculous. than it needed to be. <laughs> I just think, like... I think he is incredible. James Graham, I think, is just a phenomenal writer and playwright, but as a, as a writer of contemporary television, I think he's peerless at doing what he does. I think the way he, he drew that community, which is so often by the likes of you people, and by you I mean, I mean Southern men who write television, right, okay. um, make it one-dimensional and make it grey and make it drab and bleak. And he made that part of the world, you know, he made the Midlands rich and lush it, and beautiful as well as, you know, a place of great trauma and tragedy. It was the four M's of Terry, wasn't it? Miners, murder, misery, Midlands, <laughs> fucking everything you love. <laughs> I, I just thought it was in, in just an incredible piece of writing. And, the, I mean, that fucking cast, just absolute top drawer everywhere you looked. And then... The last one I had is shows that I watched in Pilot's Lifetime, oh, but didn't start in Pilot's Lifetime. <laughs> and, and that has to be... And I feel like I, I need to mention that because I watched The West Wing while on this podcast, and that show changed my life. I will and allow it. it. Is the number, it's the number... But for me, it's head and shoulders above anything else I've ever watched. Um, and for that, I will always be grateful for this podcast and your presence. You're welcome, Terry. <laughs> God, you can't help yourself. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Boyd, I just have to, I just have to mention something because you, you triggered something for me that I remembered. It's like when you mentioned the Apple S shows, yeah. and we've touched on this on this podcast just in passing, but never properly explored this. The number of Apple shows that are a single word beginning yeah. mm. with S are yeah. absolutely mental. To wit, Schmigadoon, C, Servant, Severance, Shantaram, and then there's Stillwater, Surface, Suspicion, Swagger. Like it's just fucking nuts. Yes. That's a big lesson we've learned since we started doing the podcast it is yeah it is um i'm um, before you you, before you, I get to you bed, crack on boy it's a sin i mean it's a sin yeah. i believe i believe terry even wrote a whole thing about it on her um what's it called the uh <laughs> white noise your white email noise. yeah it's white yeah. noise if you do not subscribe to terry's uh, uh newsletter then you should do so there you oh, go oh, yes that's my yes yeah. five thousand beautiful right. words with russell i T. mean I remember, I remember interviewing for Empire before, just just, when just seen it, and then it was just instantly you're like, this is one of the most incredible, important things. The word incredible, obviously, I say every other sentence, apologies. But what a what an achievement! And just just a, 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 that feels like a show, a TV show that changed the world, like that properly mm. educated generations. It you know everything that achieved, and just, also incredibly entertaining five hours of television from my boyfriend Russell T Davis, as he announced earlier. <laughs> <laughs> during the quiz um, so that stands as a massive achievement definitely in, in the all time greats of TV I would quickly mention Devs I think it's Alex Garland yes. the best thing Alex Garland's ever done yeah way better than that stupid men film that did <laughs> <laughs> earlier this year Terry remind me you hated Devs didn't you yes yeah I thought so <laughs> you, did you like Devs oh I love yeah. Devs love Devs, love Devs. I, I watched, started watching it again recently and it fucking works all over again as well yeah. it is beautiful fascinating love it um, and Midnight Mass. I think Mike yeah. Flanagan mm. is one of the big revelations of our time. Yeah. Although Hill House, quite frankly, no. I would put above Midnight Mass. Oh, well, you see, I, I put, love Hill oh, House. Oh, no, you see, I, I love Hill House. Don't get me wrong, I yeah. agree. But I think his masterpiece is Midnight Mass. I think it, that, the stuff he's dealing with in that series. It's very, very good. God, belief, yep. faith, cats. everything. Cats. Yep. <laughs> oh, God, terrible. No. Poor cats. Yeah. Um, but I think that stands alone. And, and incredible use of Neil Diamond music all the way through as well. So, yeah, I would, that's my favourite. Really? Yep. Yeah. So, better, so than, better than Hill House. I may have got my dates wrong. I don't think I have. But it's not the OA in series this two. Series 2. So I thought... When was Series 1? What year was Series, series one? 1? There was a massive gap. It took them like three fucking years to get between <laughs> 1 and 2, I think. So 1 was definitely before we stopped. But 2 was absolutely... Yeah. Okay. One of the greatest achievements of the whole podcast was when you, we got... Yes. We got Britt Marling and Zell Manley mm. on, on as, for a spoiler We got special. them on Old Still Night and the Internet of Trees and all yeah, that stuff. Before, yeah, before um, Zoom. Yeah. We were, before yeah. we knew about Zoom. So we had, somehow... We were on we, a Skype call with we them. It was Skype. very lo-fi. We were in a tiny little room in Empire and we <laughs> somehow cranked them up on Skype and we had an hour and a bit to chat with them about amazing. the greatest TV show ever made yeah I edited that on a plane well done just ran an hour there um, oh god yeah so obviously C is on the list for me that kind of goes without saying glad I was sat down for that breaking announcement there we go there we go normal people would be on there as well the yeah. best show of 2020 as we've established uh, very much enjoyed that that's I, oh, that's just an incredible show that that show like I was I and I've said this many times but it's absolutely true and it's ever so slightly tragic I was more invested in their relationship than I have been in most of mine I was so <laughs> genuinely I was so, come on you know what I'm talking about how many of you we're in the tank for Connell and Marianne. Fucking hell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hang on, hang on. Right. Having known you for some time now, isn't that your, the model of a perfect relationship for you? What, like weird 
BDSM kind of no, self-worth issues. No, she wasn't in BDSM. He saved... I mean, we could get into this if you want. We could, yeah. He, his saviour complex, him saving yeah, yeah, the broken okay. damage bird. Sure, yep. sure, sure. There was a lot of that. But I also think it came at that very specific time, wasn't it, when we were all just going a little bit mental in lockdown. <laughs> and then this perfect, pure thing came along. We were like... Oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. No, that was just me. Fair this, enough. This is a man who called... What, what was... What did you call passengers again, James? Passengers, t- Titanic amongst the stars. Titanic <laughs> amongst <laughs> the stars. That was used. Uh, That's how romantic James Dyer is. He sees that film as the Titanic amongst the stars. I mean, look, I have no excuse. Um, anyway, moving on. So I'm going to throw out Save Me. As one oh, of my, yeah. And I know what Good you're going to say. Well, I think it's fine, James. That doesn't afford Well, actually, it does. Because Save Me came out while we were point. working on issue one of Pilot TV magazine. Oh, so okay. even though the podcast came after it had started airing, I'm saying it counts because we were working on the mag when, uh, when that came out. And that show is fucking unbelievable. And Save oh, Me right. 2 was amazing as well. And what Lenny James did with that was, was incredible. Uh, and like it was, in, it was that time where... You know, and you wouldn't even say this now, but there was a time when the the, <laughs> the term a sky original used to kind of fill you with a certain amount of dread. Uh, and I think for me, partly because you're a snob, though. Isn't sure, it? Yeah. sure. You still won't take seriously anything on ITV. hundred yeah. percent. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's not my fault. That's theirs. Uh, but but like, but now, like, you wouldn't think like Sky do tons of great originals. But that for me, I was like, this oh, that is was a game proper triple A amazing television, and it is a sky original. So, well done. Yeah, you're then. absolutely right about yeah. that. Very, very right, okay. So, well, I think that's, that's no, that. Last oh, it's Beth as well. Friday Night Lights. Sorry, Beth. Unbelievable. Yes. Um, and yet, essentially very believable. <laughs> <laughs> In my defence, I'm very tired. Right, what? so, sorry. Beth, Beth, what is the show of your pilot TV? Oh, I get a show, do I? I guess it's a single one show. show. Yeah, one show. I get one <laughs> show. something I like, yeah. Fuck's sake. Uh, oh, you nightmare. Uh, well, I'm going to have to say, there's, oh, well, I'm going to have to say Barry, aren't I? It's Barry, you'll get the fuck out, isn't it? That's the, that's me, uh, that's Beth, my t-shirt. what was the name of the character that Henry Winkler played <laughs> in Listen, the TV show oh, Barry? Pistol Fingers Hewitt got in there way before me, otherwise I would have said. No, I mean, if you gave me a miniseries, it would obviously be The White Lotus, mm. um, which was oh, just Lotus. phenomenal. It, it, 2020s no 2021 could be crystallized in Murray Butler just pooing in a suitcase as far as I'm concerned uh, Barry in terms of just nailing my sense of horrible humor with beautiful spectacles stupidly brilliant stunts and just Bill Hader being amazing I've said it before I can't wait to see how his filmmaking career takes off I think he's got real legs as a as a director um, it's just been astonishing. Um, so that would be mine, I guess, as I'm only allowed one. So I'll say Barry. Barry, 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 Barry. Yeah. <gasps> Mare of Easttown. Oh my Mare God. Easttown. Yes. Do you want to see my Kate Winslet impression? Go on. Always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to work really well on the audio medium that is this podcast. Uh, it's good. I like that. Thank you. Right, right. We have. Six, possibly seven minutes to do news. So we're going to whiz through the oh, yeah, news you've section. Given us this. Yes, there we are, news. So who wants to go first with news? Let me get you. Ali McBeal. Someone talk about Ali McBeal. No. What the fuck is that? <laughs> no. No. No? I want to say, okay. Aiden. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. just like that. Yeah. Oh. What's Which, I don't think he's in his official list, by the way. 
And don't worry. And just like that, season two, Aidan Shaw, uh-huh. the turquoise bead wearing furniture <laughs> Hang designer. On. Horrible. Just to be clear, I seem to recall your hatred for And Just Like That when it first aired was brighter than the sun. <laughs> Have you become yes. completely turned around on this now? No. So you still hate it? Hate but you're hate word. watching it. I'm hate. Oh yeah, I've, I've right. hate watched it four times the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> but true, true story. But he's coming back. So there was a rumor he was coming back for season one, um, and then apparently he said it on a red carpet, and then <laughs> then he said afterwards it was like a joke, and I was like, that's just a shit joke because it could be believable. It seems like a really <laughs> random joke. But they've confirmed he's coming back. And it isn't just a cameo, like uh, in that dreadful Sex in the City 2 film, where he oh, cheats God. on his wife and the mother of his children with Carrie Bradshaw. It is a recurring role with a multi-episode arc. Those yeah. magic words. Who's this? Aiden Shaw, the turquoise bead wearing furniture fucking designer. Sorry. Can you imagine though, right? If she ends up with... Sorry, just... But if she ends up with Aiden and all that they went through with Big, and then he dies, and then she yeah. just ended up back where she started anyway. What was the point in any of it? Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, sorry if you haven't watched the first season. Oh, shit. I think we've all endured that episode. Yeah. We? Anyone, well, anyone vaguely interested would I mean, that? what would you like to see him do, though? Her? Him. Oh, him? Yeah. Just open a nice furniture shop. Well, don't have a nice cheat time. on your wife and the mother of your children. Yeah, that too. Well, yeah. Maybe. Did yeah. you prefer Aiden to Big, though? In, in original? No. No, 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 no. Because a lot of people did. I know, yeah. Wrong people. But Wrong people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was always Big, and that was the whole point. The whole, and this is what annoys me about, and just like that, is there was a clear thread throughout even the terrible films, which is it was always Big, and the, all of the seasons, it was always Big, really, even when Adam came close, it was they were destined to be together. And as soon as you unpick that, then the entire thing goes up in flames, and the, and then it ruins the TV shows, and then it's all fucked. Well, there you go, uh, Beth. There's been some Yellow Jackets news. Quite <gasps> oh, a bit. Of have you seen news. it? Have you seen it? <laughs> have you seen that news? <laughs> I mean, you, you sent it to me because you have. I have yeah. So Elijah Wood is joining Yellow Jacket season two, which is just perfect, 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 perfect casting. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know who he's going to be. I don't care. I'm just excited to see him in Yellow Jacket season two. Are you more excited about that than Dan Levy joining Sex Education? I might be. I might be slightly. Like the the grumpy teenager Beth is is much more excited about this than perhaps okay. adult Beth is about Dan Levy joining. Okay. He's going to be a citizen journalist, I believe, who's going to be tormenting Misty, I believe is the part he's playing. But Lauren Ambrose as well. Yeah. Lauren Ambrose, who is the best. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's She's going to be playing Van's older self, so we now know that Van survives. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really excited to get back into, it's something that I really love about, something that I really loved about Yellow Jackets that I've really missed is that thing where you watch a show every week and then you get to theorize what's happening and and mm. get to come together with people and just come up with wacky 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 theories you just that is kind of lost mm. with the binging kind of model that you do really crave so i'm looking forward to really digging my teeth into some some big theories actually at the 500 empire 500 uh episode kate heron loki showrunner kate heron had the most incredible theory about what she thinks has happened in the second season which i'm going to save for when the second season of Yellow Jackets comes out. Because it's the kind of thing only a showrunner or like a, like a t- 
TV writer could come up with. And I really hope she's right. To be really annoying and just withhold all this information. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. It's okay. going to be great. But it's not coming out till next year, which is a shame. Yeah, no, we've got a little bit of a wait, which is a yeah. shame because that was really good. I enjoyed. Did you watch Yellow Jackets, Terry? No. No. That would, that would be on my list for the listener question. I'm just going to, because you only let me have one, so I'm going to keep true. coming back that's to true. it. That's going to be your, your, sub- your sub- You can have it as a substitute. Yeah. yeah that's fine. Uh, so, a little bit of casting, some sex education casting. Do you see Dan Levy? Is that's very sick. Said. Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> I wasn't listening. When did you, oh, this was the, I see, this was the thing you said, said when I yes. wasn't listening. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that fashion <laughs> sketch where the, woman, where the woman talks and nobody, you're that woman. Yeah, yeah luckily Boyd, I edit the podcast, know, so I that's going to be fucking seamless when it goes out. And I'd be like, boy, did you know, because yes. you didn't mention it earlier, no. that Dan Levy has joined Sex I, Education? I believe it's Levy as well. Is it? I believe it's got an American, yeah, American oh. Levy. I'm, you know, so I'm picking oh, up on fine. that slightly. But yeah. he, we do know what he's going to, it's brilliant news, by the way, because he's fucking brilliant yeah Shit's Creek yeah legendary he's a great man and it just seems like a perfect thing you know, as soon as you, you heard it like Dan Levy is going to be in such a situation like yes but he's going to play Emma Mackey's character Maeve is moving to the States to study at Wallace University and she'll be taught there by him he's a renowned author um, and so yeah so that's it's going to be the two of them kind of show. and in fact the publicity shot they releases the two of them together yeah um, but that's fascinating that they could move that, that I didn't even Maybe everyone knew. I didn't realise that was a storyline that she was moving, and they were going to do all that. Maybe that was announced at the end of the preview. It was. Yeah, yes. it was yeah. I thought it was yeah. the main right. plot point at the end of the preview. <laughs> everything. Hence <laughs> my performance in the quiz. Um, my memory is going, but yeah, I'm yeah very excited about Dan Levy. Yeah, slash Levy. Very very good. Yeah, very very good. Um, did you see that Ming Na Wen has teased? a second season for the Book of Boba Fett, the series that nobody asked for. And we were all hoping that we could just, it would go away and we would never speak of it again and it would all be fine. But apparently it might even be coming back. So, If we can get Matt Berry back on, voicing the, voicing the droid. Well, then fine, fine. If it could just be if just that droid. If he gets his own episode yeah. as the droid, I'll, I'll gladly, I mean, I'll watch him in anything, but I would definitely watch him do that. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Now, we are basically out of time for news unless there's something else you want to talk about, like the Wednesday trailer or, I don't know, the Cobra Kai trailer, anything at all? I, both of those shows were exactly what you expect. <laughs> I mean, Wednesday looks He's not wrong. Yeah. He's not wrong. It's going to be an eight-hour, um, what's his name, Tim Burton film. <laughs> yeah. All right, fair enough. Yeah, Fine. Well, that was news. Way <laughs> yeah. That was news. On to reviews. I'm waiting for the card. Yes, there we are. Okay, fine. So, so first up this week, we have House of the Dragon, HBO spin-off from Game of Thrones that turns the clock back 200 years to the age of the Targaryen dynasty when King Viserys I, played by Paddy Considine, sat the Iron Throne. Uh, there are dragons, there are orgies, there are acts of gratuitous violence. It is, in fact, a lot like Game of Thrones, uh, <laughs> only even more wiggy. So uh, before we let Beth go all season eight Daenerys on this one, boy, does this castle rock oh, or is it a winter fail? <laughs> Oh, come yeah. on. That, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, very good. Um, at the, we went to the premiere last we week. We did. Showing, yeah. showing I was sitting next to you. You sat there, I sat next to James, one honour. Um, and <laughs> while we were waiting for the, for the screening to start, they showed the um, red carpet and everything, all the actors on the red carpet. And I noticed that um, Paddy Constantine, who is basically the, he plays the king, um, in this show, and he's kind of the lead, I would say, at least for the, to start with. Um, he was asked on the red copy, is it a Game of Thrones fans going to enjoy it? You know, is it cause, and he's like, it is Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I thought, that's a bold thing to say about a prequel series, new series, 
But he's absolutely right. And if you need further evidence that it is Game of Thrones, they haven't even come up with a new theme tune. <laughs> it's the same theme tune. To be fair, I wonder now if that was a temp score. No, 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 no. Are so you I'm, sure? Well, I've seen six episodes. If it's no, no, score, no. But actually, before each one, it says temp effects, temp score, temp thing. So I think the title sequence and the score, no, they, I think it's temp. Well, they showed it at the premiere. They would have said this isn't the, the, the theme tune. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, so when it airs, and it airs... Tonight, yes. pretty much, doesn't it? Yeah. If it has the same music as Game of Thrones, it then will. fuck that the shit. The other reviews mentioned that it's the same. Yeah, but yeah. I do wonder whether the finished no. version... You're wondering his point. Of course it's the same. All right. <laughs> then they have the same music. <laughs> it's got the same theme shit. It's fine, which is fine. But it is absolutely continuing everything you wanted, everything you liked about Game of Thrones, if you like Game of Thrones, is all present and correct. And that's fine by me. I'm not complaining about it. It's just it's an absolute fact that it has completely the same, retained the same tone. It does have lashings of gratuitous violence, gore, sex, nudity. There are also, other funny interviews. If you want to amuse yourself, uh, um, Miguel Sapochnik, the co-showrunner, this might have even been the Empire magazine, definitely said it a few times that it's not gratuitous, the sex, nudity. He has said that a lot. He said that a lot. It's the most gratuitous. <laughs> <laughs> Sex, nudity, and violence. You will ever see. Episode one has quite a lot of it. Episode four, you you will not believe your eyes the extent of the gratuity of the, the sex and nudity. The peen count is significant. I'm just going to put that there. There's penises. The, what, the peen count, Terry. There are cocks akimbo. Those said the peen count. I <laughs> no, was like, what's the peen? As well. Depends on the actor, really, if I'm honest with you. So, yeah. Steady. Horrible. Again, I'm fine with all this. It's all fine. That it, it's it, what I would say about it is it focus. It's much more focused than Game of Thrones. So it's completely yep. focused on the Targaryen family and on the particular um, uh, issue of who is going to succeed the king, played by Paddy Considine. Is it going to be? He hasn't got a son. He hasn't got a. And so he's got a daughter, played brilliantly by Millie Alcock mm. in the first five episodes. She yeah. plays him as, as a teenager. She is fucking amazing. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. She's the revelation yeah. of the whole series. Mm. Um, and uh, society will not accept a female heir, is the, is the whole idea. So um, his, his fucking brother, his evil brother, played brilliantly by Matt Smith. And Matt Smith's having a, a wonderful time oh, yeah. playing this complete fucking... He is the Joffrey. He is Joffrey. I mean, he's a little bit different to Joffrey, but not much. I mean... I, 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 I think he definitely starts that way. I think he's, okay. he's a less of a pantomime character than we think yeah, he is when that's we meet him. And, and, and he deepens, and you get to see him in various situations, relationships with various people, and that does... He's a fascinating, but yeah. I very much enjoyed his. Dimension. He is, and I genuinely think he's the wiggiest person oh, I've ever been very in anything wiggy. ever since wigs began. Yeah, yeah. Like, all of the blonde, long-haired wigs are very wiggy. Yeah, that's true. He, he changed his hairstyle three or four times, though. Fascinatingly, yeah. Yeah. a number During, of different wigs. Yeah. Um, so even so, it's much more focused. The game of Game of Thrones was even from the start. Like Game of Thrones had the sprawling, like t- my memory is even 20, 30 characters that you were kind of following pretty much from the start and cutting mm. between them all. Yeah. Certainly three or four different locations and plot lines. This is absolutely laser-focused on this issue, on the king, who will take over, what effect will it have. And then oh, uh, gradually, I, I said season six episodes, gradually over, those, over the season, newer characters are introduced and characters that only pop up briefly are fascinating things happen with them as, as it goes on. But I enjoyed the fact it was more focused. I also think they've pulled off a very clever trick of, even though it is more focused and might seem smaller scale, it doesn't seem smaller scale at all. It still has that grandeur mm. visually, the sets, like the fact that the throne is now like, has thousands of other swords in the build-up to actually arriving on the throne is indicative of the whole thing, that it looks even more magnificent, I think. that Certainly Game of Thrones to start with wasn't that, you, since you 
you've watched it recently, you'll know. But it didn't, I don't remember it having that grandiose visual quality, but this does. And the dragons are there from the start, and they're incredible, beautifully rendered. The VFX are fantastic. It's so, good that you say that, because Gillian, are you here? Oh, there no. you go. She did the effects. Oh, so, oh. be nice. I mean, <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. But I thought... They looked fabulous. Yeah, they really do. Like, the, the dragon, dragon VFX have come on a lot since Game of Thrones first started, is all I'd say. So I was massively engaged right from the start. Um, I think the storyline works, even though it is another succession storyline, and it's very, who is going to take over the throne in the end is very similar to Game of Thrones itself and succession and all other things. But the way they tell it... The, the dialogue, the, there's, there's meetings of the small council happen all the time with the king and his advisors. And those scenes are very entertaining it, and funny. It, they could have been boring. It is 100%. So this, the first episode, is 60% small council. Yeah, it is. It's, like, it's like John in his review, one of my favourite lines in a review, that he said it's all a bit sort of, you know, meetings that could have been ravens. And I was just like, that's just... <laughs> But it's like, but it's to this show's credit that yeah. those meetings are fucking brilliant. It's very entertaining. Yeah, so the dialogue it crackles. I think it's got that crackle to it, mm. and the the insults. There's, there's cunt purse happens in um, I think episode three or four. I think that's what I heard anyway. Um, someone called someone. I didn't even know what it means really, but I think that's what they said. Um, there's loads of effing and jeffing and seeing all the way through. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, what I would say is, so they they made the point in again in these interviews defending the sex and violence. They said there's no sexual violence. Uh, or if they is, they kept it off screen, which was a complaint from about Game of Thrones when it yeah. went out, and that is true, certainly from what we've seen, what I've seen so far. But there's definite, there, there, there's a whole, it, it kind of weirdly normalises very old middle-aged men having relationships with young girls. I mean, that is the thing, and. The weird thing that the makers are saying is this is what happened, in, you know, back in the period. Sorry, you've invented this thing. This thing's your dragon. <laughs> they don't, you know. So there's a nod, like, you know, you didn't have to do that. Um, it obviously it underlines the fact that this is really set in the Middle Ages. I mean, that's as we always said about Game of Thrones. But it's almost like they've decided in this particular story for the whole way women are treated to be almost at the core of the whole thing. There's a lot of very distressing childbirth sequences, by the way. So many so childbirth So many sequences. distressing childbirth. It, it gets weird. And I found the way that, as I say, that Paddy Constantine's, you know, at one point has a long chat with a very young girl. It's all about, are they going to get married or not? And you think, all right, it would have been historically relevant, yeah. but you didn't need... And punch. she's like 11. Yeah. Like, it's, it's I, like, I, I it would be historically relevant if it was, if it was based in right. real life, but it's a fantasy yeah. show yeah, with so dragons. Right. So they've weirdly convinced themselves, the creators, that they're just telling a story about the Middle Ages and this is what society was like, well. and yet they've got dragons. And there are other elements, just very quickly. Like, they don't, like for example, there are a lot of... Uh, it's a more, much more diverse cast. There are a lot more um, black British actors in this, which is great, but they don't mention... There's no racism in it, so that, that's not... Issue, dealt with at all, or particularly even homophobia, which that, that happens later on. There's a, there's a, there's a uh, LGBTQ storyline that happens later on. Spoiler alert. But again, you know, that's kind of they touch on it a bit, but for some reason they've really decided the whole thing really is about the fact that a woman cannot mm. take the throne. And that's fine, but don't pretend it's historically accurate. We're doing it for historical reasons. That's <laughs> no, just so, stupid. So it's obviously based on the, the, what's it, George Martin's book, the, the, the right. Fire and Blood book. So it's like, so that they could have obviously changed things. But yeah. for me, and Terry, I'd be interested to see what you think about this. So this is an entire show about dismantling the patriarchy. Like that's yeah. okay. the whole crux of this show is that this is a man's world. This woman's going to and will they accept her? Is it possible? And it's done in a number of different ways. It's done in the succession, you know, will that work? You know, it's done in the way that. That, you know, there's a line early on, like a, a woman's battlefield is the birthing bed. And, you know, the princess actually has a line where she says, you know, like, I don't want to get married. Getting married is a fucking death sentence. And 
because obviously obstetric care, not great in the Seven Kingdoms, but the point was is that getting pregnant was very much a roll of the dice. You could just fucking die, as characters do in this, you know, more than once. And so not only has she got to deal with that, but she's also got to deal with the fact that no one wants to listen to her because she's a woman. She gets marginalised in the council meetings, all this stuff, and all the way through, you know, at the very beginning, Viserys is only king because he was the oldest male relative. There was an older female relative who was passed over because she was a woman. So it's kind of this yeah. thread before, that goes all Before James it. completely mansplains this whole thing, <laughs> um, and, and, and before we get to Terry and Beth, let me finally say, let me finish my opinion by saying I fucking loved it. I mean, the bottom line is, despite all of those questionable yeah. moments, and there are questionable moments, I, abs- I was riveted from the, from the off, and it's as, uh, I thought it was as, as good as Game of It was kind of better after six episodes that I've seen than Game of Thrones was certainly at that period. I, th- I just think the, the level of... The, perform- the, the casting is fantastic. Paddy Considine yeah. can do no wrong. Yeah. But also, I loved Reese Siffens as, as, as the hand, his hand. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I'm James's hand, effectively. You know, yeah. kind of, I'm, I, 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 you know, I like his... Am I even serious in this particular yeah. analogy? <laughs> I'm basically his slave boy. But, and so, but Otto, as, as Otto, the, the, the hand, he is... Fa- Reese Siffens is brilliant. Kind of like a man of immense dignity. And just like not the kind of role that he normally plays. I thought he was brilliant. But particularly Millie Alcock, it takes, she is incredible. And that she's like, I think she's in her early 20s, so she looks like she's about 14, when yeah. she's supposed to be 14, but she is astonishing. So I absolutely loved it. Terry, as a newly, as a newly minted uh, Game of Thrones fanatic. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but I agree with you. Yes. Oh, Yes, now I regret saying anything at all. Um, what, what I think, and I've already seen a bit of this online, which is, uh, this is what happens when Me Too happens. You can't even have, like, naked women and sex anymore. What we can't really have, I don't think, is uh, gratuitous rape scenes that are only there to motivate men, or really, for titillation. Mm. Like, I think we can all live without those. And there are, there are notable things. Like, I think, actually, the first naked body on screen belongs to a man mm-hmm. who's being castrated for being a rapist. That's like a pretty big sign of intent, I think. And I found... So there's, there'll be lots of conversations about this childbirth scene, and we shouldn't go into specifics, because you'll see why. Um, I thought it was incredibly powerful, and I'd kind of heard rumblings, oh, you know, it's super gratuitous, it's too much. It's As, as a woman who's been in that position, I don't think I've ever seen as realistic a depiction of of what it is to push your body to the point of existence. Like, that's the only way I can think to describe it. And that line you're talking about, childbirth is our battlefield, like, it's absolutely that. What this show does brilliant, there's a bit where the birth scene is juxtaposed with this jousting competition. And you realise at that moment, like, in such a light way they do this violence for men in this world and maybe even in the world we're in today violence is for Mm. for men they're in control completely for women life and death isn't even in their hands it's always decided for them when you compare it to early game of thrones fuck me like i watched the first episode like immediately before watching this and you've got daenerys right like being essentially raped or pressured into sex by her new husband like in a really grim way and she kind of is slightly unaffected and then tries to work out how to win him over like the whole the way it's handled it's like completely different and I think 
this isn't me being a killjoy feminist, even though I am a killjoy feminist. <laughs> it gives, it gives, thank you. It gives, it gives for me, it gives depth and importance to female characters in a way that I feel like Game of Thrones only got there right towards the end, maybe. So I, I loved it for all those reasons, quite honestly. I think it's, it's exactly about how the patriarchy kind of underpins society, how women are bought and traded and dismissed, how the life of a baby boy is always going to be worth more than the life of an adult woman. Um, it's, I mean, it's just, I thought it was fucking amazing. And Millie Alcock, mm. holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Like, absolute magic. Like, just absolute magic. I thought she's incredible. And actually, a lot of the power... I think in, in the way those uh, stories were told were because of... I mean, her performance was just incredible. Mm. So, yeah, I, I am totally with you, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely worked for me. Beth. Mm. Dracarys. Hello. I think what is interesting about a show like this is it does really show where your boundaries are as a viewer. What is too much what isn't enough, what is necessary, what isn't necessary. And it's really interesting to kind of catch what kind of personality you are while you're watching this. Like, for example, there's a moment in this first episode where a man is pulled away who's been sort of fighting with a sword. Part of his face stays where it is. So part of the face stays on the ground and the rest of his body is pulled away without that part of his face. Doesn't have that part of his face anymore. It's gone. It's done. <laughs> That, for me, I could just about stomach. <laughs> Violence against women, I find a lot more difficult. And that is not to disagree with anything that anyone else has said in this. I find it so hard to stomach, even in the realm of fantasy, because it is so deeply rooted in reality, you know. And when there is a show, which is actually called House of the Dragons, first scene... Brilliant opener, by the way, with the dragons. They're not dicking about with that title. Dragons, so many dragons. And they're amazing. It's great. I just, I just can't handle it. I can't handle it. I can't handle... There is a scene of sexual assault, which is... And this is a massive issue I had with Game of Thrones, and absolutely fair play that they are trying to rectify those issues. There is an episode, and I actually try not to think about it too much, where there is so much sexual assault. It's when they're taking over the, the, the women, and it's, it's, it's horrible. It's like almost like uh, background furniture for scenes. The Dothraki one. Thank you, yeah. yeah. And uh, there is an instance of that here, but there's this really cinematic shot of Matt Smith, who, by the way, is fucking brilliant in this. Mm -hmm. I don't watch Doctor Who. I will now. It was like, <laughs> he, was, he is delicious in this. He's having such a delicious time. And I have, I have so much, he, he is yeah. so endlessly watchable in this. I have, I have so much fun watching him. But there's this really cinematic shot in that when he's in battle and he's protecting his, his family name. And there is a, an instance of sexual assault happening as background furniture in the scene. And I just, I just can't, it just doesn't sit with me. And that's not to say that people that can watch that and find meaning and, and resonance in that, it, it just comes down to preference. And I think a show like this really forces your boundaries to the frontier because you're confronted with so much with this show. And so the childbirth scene, which, which drew so much power for so many other people, I, I just found it, to, I found that there could be maybe more power in showing it in a slightly different way. But that's me. And I think, again, this is what the show does. It really forces you to the front and, and asks you big questions about who you are and what you think about these things. 
And so I found it quite a lot. That said, I persevered. I come out of that premiere shaking. I mm. found that really quite stressful to watch in spite of its, of its ambition. And the performance is a fucking fantastic like consistently brilliant which is not something i could say about game of friends all the time um so i'm so happy to come up that i'm excited to see where these performers go which is something i love about watching a, a really good example of excellent casting and i think they fucking nailed it i think it's so great mm. but i came out of it feeling pretty shaken to the core i posted and i watched a few more episodes and it's not like that but although i am wary about episode four now boy to be Sorry. honest with the boobage yeah. and the peenage and the beanage and <laughs> and what else we've got to come episode episode four's got it all okay okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. but yeah i i i just i i find it hard uh, to stomach I think it's me and that's just me putting my hands as someone who who finds it incredibly hard to, to watch stuff like that on screen that's just, that's just who I am and I think it's important we have this, it's interesting when we disagree on these things it's well and I, I think you're right about it being challenging and that's and I really enjoyed that I'd enjoyed probably not the right <laughs> word I relish no they're all the wrong words but I that worked for me because I think when you see, traditionally, when you see depictions of women giving birth on screen, what often happens is you see them start screaming or the waters drop, which never happens, as they're like toddling down the street or whatever, <laughs> or walking into a dungeon. And then it cuts away and you cut back and they're either dead or they've got a baby. <laughs> like, and you don't see the bit in the middle. And, yes. and you know what? Something's unpalatable for us to look at. Some things are difficult for us to look at. It's really hard to acknowledge that we ask women to put their bodies through that thing and take themselves the closest that they'll probably come to death before they actually die, yeah. that we ask them to do that to continue the human race, that that burden is put on women, that they their body physically tears apart. Mm. That's the reality. And I absolutely fucking love that they went, do you know what this is like, especially back then, but even today, like, you know, there is any woman who's given birth, like, everybody has a horror story and that's because it's still a really primitive you know, people talk about it being entirely natural. It is, but also it is fucking rough on your body. Like, there is no two ways about it. And I just, I was like, do you know what? Fucking yes. I want to see that. And I think it will be difficult for people to see and challenging for people to see. And there's a difference for me between, you know, like gratuitous, awful sexual assault and um, even sex with younger girls, all of that kind of stuff, which for me is always bordered on titillation. Yeah. This is not in any way titillating. This is mm. like a, a portrait of the brutality we inflict on women's bodies. Yeah. And I was like, fucking hats off to you. Yeah. yeah the whole thing seems to be about br the whole brutality of the time that like we're really going to... I mean, it is, it is hardcore. It is absolutely mm. brutal. And yeah. to use that word again. And it's strong stuff, even by Game of Thrones stance. I do think they've almost gone further in terms of what we're going to show you and how gory and violent and But nasty. it's more focused. Like, you talk about yeah. the show being more focused. I think all this stuff is more focused mm. as well. That, that childbirth scene I struggled with. Like, yeah. I found it very hard to watch. But now, having seen six, six episodes, I know why it's there. And there's, there's a scene later on where... It's another birth scene. There are so many birth scenes. The kids fucking everywhere. But there are so many birth scenes. But there's one in particular where a woman has just given birth and she is forced to go and do something after she's given birth. And it is so powerfully shot. And it just gives you instantly this sense of the fucking hard as nailsness of this woman that she has just gone through however many hours later. She's squeezed out this child. She's bleeding everywhere, you know, and she has to go and 
you know, do some duty. Like, yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot, but it's incredibly powerful. And I think my only notes for this show, and I do have a note for this show, <laughs> enough. and it is this, is that I feel like, and maybe you know, this is unfair to them, but I feel like the first six episodes of this could have been the first two seasons of this. And it feels not rushed. It's obviously deliberately done, but there is a, I think it's a six months jump between episodes one and two. Then there's a two year jump between two and three. And then we get to a 10 year jump between, you know, another couple of episodes. And I want that time back. I want to see what happens. And there's a couple of bits where something quite ambiguous and tantalizing happens at the end of an episode and you come back and it's like, it's a fucking year later. I've no idea what happened. Like I want to see all this stuff. And I think the biggest problem you've got, and I feel so bad for Emma Darcy because when Millie Olcott finally leaves and we have the time jump where you get the... You're just gutted. You are just destroyed. You're like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Fuck this. Because Millie Olcott <laughs> is so phenomenal that the thought that she's never going to come back, you're just like, what, what is going on? Like, I want two seasons of her at least. And I think the only thing that salvages that is that Emma Darcy is extremely good in this as well. So yeah. you do eventually go, no, oh, I'm fine. But... but you know, I think I found that time jump stuff a little bit discombobulating at times. Uh, but I think that was probably my only my only concern. But other than that, I loved it. I think you know the characters maybe aren't as varied or textured as they are in Game of Thrones. But Game of Thrones, obviously, they have all of that rich you know book characterization to draw on. Like this comes from Fire and Blood, which is let's be honest, a fictional history book, and it's very very dry. So they are essentially inventing a lot of this characterization as they go and I think by the time you get to episode 6 I think actually that's been addressed and you really feel a sense of who these characters are and why they're interesting but I think it does take a few episodes for that to come whereas because you had really colourful characters like Tyrion and you had Littlefinger and you had the, the variance between you know Daenerys here and the Starks there and all that there were so many different things going on the texture was there from episode 1 which, which this one I think it takes a little time to get going but uh, yeah it's a bit good it's a bit good. I liked it. Two thumbs up. Two dragons up for me. Um, so this airs tonight, pretty much, doesn't it, in the States? Yeah. And we get it, what, Monday? It's 2 a.m. if you found 2 a.m. You watch it from 2 a.m. Stay up and watch it. It's on no. at 2 a.m. Uh, on Sky Atlantic. It's Sky Atlantic, isn't it? Yeah. And now. And now. Obviously, Sky Atlantic and now. Never forget. Right, that is House of the Dragon, which takes us on to our next show, which is the MCU's latest Disney Plus series, a rather unconventional half-hour legal comedy titled She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, <laughs> which sees Orphan Black's Tatiana Maslany as Jennifer Walters, a lawyer who occasionally hulks out and trashes the place. Beth, is this Hulk a smash? Because you see... Hulk smash—it's good. It's a good joke. It's funnier yeah. than will you explain it, isn't yeah. it? Really? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, I mean, you've covered this pretty extensively at this yeah. stage. So I've just really quickly, because given... we've already talked about this for like an hour earlier <laughs> in the show. But you know. I mean, this was a fucking delight, wasn't it? Wasn't it though? Loved it. Loved every. And I'm not, you know, I'm a firm believer in the Marvel shows more so than the films. But uh, I was really excited about this. I haven't seen Orphan Black. I'm adding, adding that to my watch list because uh, Tatiana Maslany is this is is absolutely wonderful. Has a lot of heavy lifting to do. She's got the lawyer aspect of this. She's got kind of a comedic. I'm wary about how many films and shows are using Fleabag as a touching point with this, but it doesn't feel too obvious. There's a few little winks and addresses to camera in this that work really well. 
Um, I've only seen the first episode because I'm not Boyd Hilton and or James Dyer. <laughs> so I have just watched the first, um, which is a lot of exposition, eh, exposition stuff, but in a really, really wonderful way. Um, so yeah, just a little bit of backstory as to, as to how she becomes uh, She-Hulk and... She's just wonderful, very funny, very smart. This is, you know, a very wonderful character study about um, someone who I'm just really excited to see. It's almost like it's almost like watching yourself becoming a I becoming a so. massive green lawyer, and uh, <laughs> I'm I'm basically all for it. I don't know. I was like, you've done such a good job with the spoiler special. Well, literally, what I was going to say. What I was going to say. I think Terry probably has something to say. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to be the bad guy. Yeah. Oh, I don't. Oh, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> do you know what? Like, first things first. Fair play to them for it gets so meta. And they, you know, just this bit where she says, "Are you quoting a comic book at me right now?" And they're taking the piss out of the mythology that Marvel have created. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed them puncturing this narrative of heroism and purity of super. I, I was all in for that stuff. There's something for me quite girl bossy about the kind of feminism, quote-unquote. So it's like a, a monologue, um, which has been covered quite extensively online, about controlling anger and how as a woman you have to do it every day in the face of sexism and misogyny, which is absolutely correct. But I don't know, there's something about it that's just so on the nose and so... Oh, I just, I, this, it just rankled me, and it felt really young to me, which it probably is. Um, and it, it was loads of fun. And if I had, you know what, if I had a 14 year old child, um, which actually is entirely possible, I would make her watch this. I would make her watch this on a loop. Um, but I, there's something about, there's something about its uh, self professed feminism that made me a bit queasy, I've got to say. Yeah, I kind of, I know what you mean. I didn't love it. I have to say, I've and it was Amor, I was talking to Amon about what he said during um, the spoiler special discussion about. I've only watched two episodes, and he told me that he says that three, uh, episode three, it becomes to be the show it wants to be, which yeah, is basically a, you know the legal a legal comedy effectively yeah. with a superhero who doesn't want to be a superhero. Client of the week type superhero, yeah. yeah. Um, but I found the first two a bit kind of glib and a bit. I didn't think, and everyone was talking about how funny it is. I didn't think it was that funny. It was like trying to be funny. You know, sometimes in the films, this happens quite a lot actually, that there's, they, have, they, they give you a lot of that kind of glib dialogue with references and, you know, that thing that, you know, Robert Downey Jr. effectively, he was the one, he, he, he started it, didn't yeah. he, with his riffing on stuff. And sometimes it's funny and sometimes it isn't and it's fine because there's a bigger story to tell. And it's just part of the whole kind of tissue of Marvel films. In this show, I felt it kind of... Actually, I feel almost like this isn't as funny as, like, a really good sitcom. You know, it's trying to be... It kind of wants to be a sitcom with this character in it. And I love the idea of it and making these points the, 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 about feminism, etc. But I didn't think the jokes were that great a lot of the time. And, you know, I thought an average episode of The Office, you know, would be funny, American Office I'm talking about, or lots of sitcoms that are just funnier than this show. And, yeah, so I almost felt like it's not quite as good as I wanted it to be. But I will... Hopefully in three, and, and all the setups. I mean, there's a lot of setup. In yeah, there's a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, and yeah. it's great to have the Hulk back and to have him back playing him and all that. But it's like one joke they repeat a lot in that first episode. Like they could have dispensed with that in five minutes. Um, so I do have my issues with it. Yeah, sorry to be a bit of a killjoy. Um, it's fine. 
<laughs> well, as a connoisseur of sitcoms, I would say <laughs> that I liked it. Uh, well, obviously, I've talked about this for an hour, so I won't talk about it too yeah. much more now. But uh, I, I found it really funny. It really worked for me. I, like, I properly that credits thing was genuinely <laughs> my, one of my favourite things uh, I, yeah I loved it maybe it was slightly daft I think it was quite smug at times but I myself appreciate that as I'm sure you know uh, smug, yeah, smug so, is the word yeah, yeah, that is the word. yeah, yeah. I love a bit of smugness yeah. so you know that was great so yeah I loved it I thought it was a joy so Boo oh god anyway uh, so She-Hulk Attorney at Law is on now the first episode is on Disney Plus you can watch it there as I think everyone in this room already has so that review is entirely redundant. So, um, <laughs> right. So finally this week, we have the third and final season of Apple C. Otherwise known as the greatest show on television. Uh, now, funny thing, but it turns out C is actually embargoed until it airs on Friday. Um, what? Absolutely what? true. What? But there was absolutely no way I was going to let our 200 show pass if there was any chance that I could get C in here. More specifically, if I could make Terry watch C <laughs> one more time. So we're going to do a preview of C season three. Not a review, you understand. A preview. Okay, got it? Good. Now, clearly, all of you are C experts by this point, but just in case, <laughs> this is what you've missed so far. No, oh, here we go. <sighs> Sometime in the 21st century, a virus outbreak wiped out most of humanity, and the few people who survived were left blind, a trait that was passed on to their children. Flash forward several centuries, and everyone has learned to live in a world without sight. We join the Alchemy tribe, where the leader, Baba Voss, marries an outcast named Margaret, who has two children named Kufun and Honeywa. But it turns out that their real father, Jonah Morel, can see and has passed his sight onto them, which leads to the evil Queen Kane, who prays to the God Flame by wanking to send her chief witchfinder, Tamakti Jun, to kill the shit out of them and burn them as witches. He fails, but butchers the Alchemy and sends our heroes on the run with Alfre Woodard, who's a blind psychic called Paris. On their travels, they encounter all manner of trials, and it turns out Baba Voss is a bad motherfucker who used to be a slaver and is a demon at blind foo fighting, demonstrated by him punching a grizzly bear in the face. As the story rolls on, it turns out that Margaret is actually a princess and deposes the queen to take the throne of Pyre for herself. Meanwhile, Baba is captured and tortured by his not-so-little brother, Edo Voss, played by Dave Bautista. There's a great big battle, Edo is defeated, and Tamakti Jun, who was dead, is now alive and has turned into a goodie. But the wank-praying queen is still about and kills Alfre Woodard just to be a dick. Meanwhile, Baba Voss gets the hump after his wife, marries a handsome politician called Harlan, I mean, you would, wouldn't you, and strides off into the forest in a strop, which is where we pick up with season three. Don't encourage him. Yeah. <laughs> Terry, to quote Dr. William Weir in Event Horizon, do you see? Do you see? <laughs> By which, of course, I mean, have you seen the trailer and what is your preview of this show? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, this is probably the last ever... Well, no, it's, it's the last ever thing I'll do with four pilots. And it uh, Yes. And it feels... It is now. It feels fitting that this is how I go out. Um, so, this is... Either the second or the third time I've reviewed this. Um, <laughs> Almost certainly the third time. On the pilot podcast, just for James Dyer's amusement, which is, you know, we're meant to be here, right? To inform people, to educate them, to tell them what's worth watching. And then I get forced to watch something that I've never seen and know nothing about. <laughs> so I apologise. This is probably not going to be cogent or informed um, or in any way useful. Um, but I have, I did want to do something useful. So I have where we are, which I don't think you've covered in whatever you just said. Um, so I'm going to read to you what, it, what season three is about. Is that okay? Without yeah. spoiling it, sure. 
No, 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 this is fine. This was on the internet. What can go wrong? <laughs> set, set one year since Momoa's Baba, Vo- Baba Voss. Baba Voss defeated his nemesis brother Edo and went to live in the forest. Baba, Baba, Baba. Baba. Baba is forced, is forced to return to society and protect his tribe. Though when a Trivantian scientist develops a new and devastating form of sighted weaponry that threatens the future of humanity. Oh, I think I stopped writing at that point. <laughs> <laughs> that sentence. Right, so that's basically what happens. I'm just going to... Oh, I'm just going to say thoughts I had that are in no way uh, good. So, to be... F- that opener. So, there's a nigh-on 11-minute opener. 11 minutes! That's so self-indulgent, but also it was pretty fucking amazing. So it's <laughs> completely epic. The scale, the design, the detail. Um, amazing battle scene. There are some people losing a battle. Um, there's a funny bit where these, one of them says, this was our third company retreat in three days. And in my head I'm thinking, why have they been on a weird away day? Like, it took me a while to work out. <laughs> it's a bonding exercise. They went paintballing. <laughs> Um, uh, the right, let's talk about the writing it's slightly on the nose would we say so sure. there's, um, uh, somebody says you've had a child with a deranged murderous woman as the deranged murderous woman sits chained to the wall rocking backwards and forwards <laughs> holding a child to her breast um, uh, it also I mean watching this and the house of the dragon was really interesting because yet another horrific childbirth scene I mean, this one was kind of much more hammy and less... I mean, still, <laughs> childbirth is torture, basically. So very early, you've got a woman... Um, I won't say who, but you probably know. I don't know. Pop, she, they literally pop her in straps and hang her from the ceiling. Um, and she, she yells at some point, I'm being torn apart from the inside out, which is pretty accurate. But she was, like, laughing her head off when she was saying it. <laughs> she is mental, though. Like, I mean, she's, like... <laughs> Tropes, 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 <laughs> mad woman. I mean, if you were being ripped apart from the inside out, wouldn't no, you be a bit before like... Before she was pregnant, she's, she's, I mean, she's a lunatic. Okay. She's, she's... All right. Well, that, I mean, that was a... But again, it, I thought it was uh, really interesting you know, how women are, and kids are traded in those days and all days, let's be honest. Um, uh, what else? I've got to fuck me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, Jason Momoa doesn't turn up for ages. Yeah, it's because like, he's living in the forest. Ages and ages. Um, in a strop. And then he's in the forest in a strop. I don't know what to say apart from that. It's, it seemed fine. Scenery was nice, wasn't it? See, yeah, the trees. Yeah, trees were good. Trees were good. Um, it was, yeah, I don't know. Thanks, fuck notes. Hooray! My review is fuck no. <laughs> Why do you make me do Does this? Any, just for my own personal amusement. Does anyone else have any thoughts at all? Well, but I started to make them, and I started to like look at people's names and like contextualize it. And then I was Tomac like, Tomac well, Lion. And that's where I stopped. Because I was like, what's the fucking point? All I've got to do is like, you know, the one with a fear, and he'll jump in with their entire character out. Predictions for the future that will probably come true. Um... I was really... The, the opening sequence was boss. Yeah. It was really boss. There was kind of echoes of Fury Road in there, which I found kind of fascinating. Yeah. Massive spectacle, high action, fun. Yeah. Like, I, I quite like the hammy, to be honest. I beat the hammy over the nasty of the, the House of Dragons. Hammy, hammy all the time. If I can have fun with it, if I can actually have fun watching it, then I'll go down that route. Um, Jason Momoa's pretty great. I like that they... 
talk like normal people. I don't know. It was, I, I kind of prefer this to House of the Dragon. I do. Mm. <gasps> yeah. I mean, just because I was so, I was so upset after watching House of the Dragon to watch something hammy and kind of silly. And I know this isn't why you watch it, <laughs> but to watch something that verged on a little bit campy. I take it deadly serious. Wow. <laughs> I know you do. And it was, uh, it was, it was good. You were delighted to have a more lighthearted birth scene. Oh, 100%. The first two minutes. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. Uh, more lighthearted, really distressing. The last uh, distressing yeah. of the two. On the scale of birth scenes of the 12 we've seen this week, yeah, that was the least. <laughs> yeah. 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 That op- the opening set piece action thing is, was brilliantly done. Yeah. That. It was a bit Game of Thronesy. That's You could imagine like, there's walls and there's people throwing themselves over and there's other people fighting fight each other. The whole thing I've, from the start, and I know it's very glib thing to say but it does feel very Game of Thronesy like in, in all kinds of ways I was gutted there wasn't a recap at the beginning though from the previous series you put a like point Terry. I just gave you a perfect recap of everything <laughs> yeah, that's you, come before right. I needed that because um, yeah without the recap they, didn't, they don't recap at the beginning of, I'm sure they will when it airs properly on Apple but in the screen that we saw we just straight into that scene I was like what the fuck is going on because like Terry I've had to watch the first episode of each series and I have not gone much beyond that I have to say so just on that test of like how how engaged you are in the story something something about it's never really engaged me I don't know what I love the wanking queen I mean you know she's great she was the funniest thing about the first series Um, is she still actually do you know what it would be a spoiler for me to say whether or not there's prey wanking in this particular season see that's a character who you wonder why like she probably shouldn't be in it anymore from a plot point oh, of view. Okay. But and she's a fan Sylvia Hoax does such a good job with her. Like she gives her she's this great. musical cadence to the way she speaks, which is not how Sylvia Hoax speaks at all. But she's she's so eccentric that character is, and she's so hateable but lovable in the same way <laughs> that she really adds something. So I think actually the show would have lost something without her. So I'm kind of glad she's still around. Yeah, yeah. So she's good. Um, uh, but um, it just does. I, I think like, the whole idea is Stephen Knight, and I noticed that Stephen Knight is not writing this anymore. So he's Jonathan Tropper, Banshee's Jonathan Tropper is yeah, now showing Steve, this. Stevie's moved on to his SAS yeah. show for BBC One yeah. that's coming out soon. Um, but so the premise was always from the start was like, oh, that's fun, you know, like Game of Thrones with people who can't see, you know, and, and the ingen- ingenuity yeah. of how they do. I mean, a lot of effort and thought and practicality working so out, yeah. a lot of working out of how these people fight each other when they can't see. And that's all very impressive. Mm. But it's like I'm removed from the whole thing. I'm sitting back going, oh, yeah, that's impressive. That's clever. Must have been really difficult to write this in the mm. writer's room. But I don't I can't engage with that at all. I don't know what it is. It's, it's a weird one. Yeah, it's like I, I, I obviously engage with this. A lot. Yeah. Uh, but just, I love it so much. I cannot even tell you how much I love this show. And I always wonder why. I, I what is like, it? You know, it's really like damning with faint praise. When you go, oh, the world building was fabulous. Which is just meaning that it's dreadful, but they have a good imagination. Like, the world building in this is amazing. And I just, it makes this world so rich and textured to me. And I just love the detail of it. Like, you know how, like, for me, like, I disappear into these... That's why I love all this science fiction fantasy stuff. You just disappear into these worlds. And this world is so interesting. And the thought they put into, like, what would a world that has been for centuries existing without sight, what would it be like? Like, how would people be when sight is something that they not only don't have, but they barely even heard of? Where they think metal and plastic are things that are, like, divinely created. And the fact that when they walk around, bear in mind, they've never seen light, but they feel the heat of the sun on their faces. So there's a thing where they walk around, like, looking up, but the because they, they navigate by warmth, essentially. And how some of them have, like, incredibly acute hearing. So they can... I mean, OK, that's a little bit far-fetched in times. Sometimes they can sense people's emotion, which is obviously bollocks. But it's great fun. <laughs> and then 
you know, you've got Jason Momoa, and the first time in the first season where you see that Jason Momoa is like an incredibly hardcore fighter, just the, the choreography of that kind of blind fighting, the way, you know, it's all feel everything, and he does this like rubbing his hands on things. It sounds ridiculous. It actually looks ridiculous, but it sells this show so well. And I got so caught up in this idea, like this, this just core conceit, like what is a world where sight is a myth, and then what happens when sight starts to come back? And of course, they think it's witchcraft. They want to kill everyone who can see. Uh, I just, yeah, I just, there's something about the show that just captivates me. I love it. I love it so much. And I'm possibly the only person in the world who watches it. No, but now you're making me want to love it. Like, you're mm. so, love your words, It's so lovely. <laughs> I just, yeah, I can't, I can't say enough. I read a thing that said that episode season two was one of the most watched things ever on Apple TV Plus by me yes a thousand <laughs> times I just had it on repeat every yeah. day I know I love oh, can that can we ask stuff. the audience are there any C fans in the audience oh yeah, well, there's someone yeah. Yeah. two three <laughs> come on three yeah. people in the audience there we go okay. thank you you are my people <laughs> the rest of you come on watch the show it's amazing uh, no, it is. It is. It is very good. And this was the last season. C is the uh, season three is the last season. So there is there is no more C two C. Sadly, after this, and uh, you watched the whole thing, obviously. Of course, I watched the whole thing in like a day. Like yeah. I just burned through it and was bereft when I ran out of episodes to watch. I had the same thing when they gave me uh, when they gave me the, the season two episodes, and like, I just went through and I was like, I must have more. Give me more. Give me more now. Like you know. I just love that you knew they were on there because the thumbnail for C had changed, yeah, and you yes. were probably the only person yeah. that realized. I was scrolling the- through. And I was like, what is this? And the thumbnail had changed on. And I went in there and literally, my excitement, because when season two, like they just, they dropped the episodes a few at a time as they finished them. And this, all eight were just in there from day one and I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> and I had to finish watching Better Call Saul first and I, I had that moment where I was like, what do I do? What do I do? I want to see. And you were like, you've got to watch Better Call. If literally finishes next week, yeah. you've got to watch Better Call Saul. So I ultimately... We sorted that. your life out for you. You did, yeah. you did. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. But yeah. I, yeah, C is glorious. It's the best show ever made. Watch it. Uh, <laughs> That, and that, it's a C Davies this Friday on Apple TV Plus, which is today it's embargo too, so it's a good job we haven't just viewed it. But I've heard you enjoyed our preview, as we've just spoken about, based on the trailer for the C. So, so that is nice. Um, what, what else is out this week, Boyd? What have we missed? Well, um, the, the capture, funny enough. Yes, the I, capture. I don't know how many of you were seen. here for our capture screening earlier, but it was brilliant. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, that starts fabulous today. Also embargoed. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that uh, carries on Sunday, Monday for the next three weeks. Uh, but we know it, we, it's brilliant, basically fantastic. Um, Ridley is the new Adrian Dunbar detective yep. drama that starts on Sunday on ITV at eight o'clock. It's two hours per episode. Um, but I've seen the first one. It's actually fun. James would be pompous about it because it's on ITV. Yeah. Um, but it's just great to have Adrian Dunbar back as a different kind of cop from the one in Line of Duty. Um, and Brona War is in it. It's like a, kind of the two of them together and they bounce off each other quite well. I really enjoyed it. That is about it, to be honest. There's only one other show. Welcome to Wrexham is on Disney Plus from Thursday, oh, which yeah. is the documentary of how the fuck Ryan Reynolds <laughs> bought Wrexham F- Football Club. And that is, I've watched the first episode, it's really entertaining and interesting how that happened with Rob McElhenney from the thing, from the programmes. From the thing. Yeah. Love him. Go yeah. from the thing. Um, so even though you never allow us to do a football-based show on this show, <laughs> it is re- whether you give a shit about football or not, that is a really fun show to watch starting on uh, Thursday, Disney+. Plus. That's it, I think. What are our picks of the week? House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. I'm going to do She-Hulk. I love She-Hulk. What's that, was that C? Did you say C? I heard C. Oh. Did you hear C? I heard C. Sure. <laughs> sure. Are you saying you preferred C to House of the Dragon? 
Maybe. Oh, oh wow. wow. A real safety stone. Oh, I, I, so, so to be fair, so I binged all six episodes of House of the yeah, Dragon. Right. I, again, I was bereft so, when I ran out yes. of them. So I had a similar feeling, I think. To both. I would say House of the Dragon is arguably a better show. But uh, <laughs> I see it will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah. Bubba Foss. Democracy Jones. Oh, fuck's all sake. It's brilliant. <laughs> anyway, 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 those are our picks of the week. Uh, I think it's time for some questions. We've run over a little bit, but we've got 20 minutes, I think. So it's time for some Q&A. So if we can bring some of the roving microphones down here. Do we have, we have one? Do we have another one? Well, we've got one at the moment. Hopefully another one will manifest itself. Uh, but yes, I think yours was the first hand up with the lovely beard. <laughs> Hello. Um, firstly, congratulations on making it to 200. I'm not sure many of us will, but well done. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's a question about embargoes because oh, it seems God. to come up of Do a remarkable amount. Is that what this is? Because <laughs> I'm oh, really sorry. <laughs> like it comes up a lot in the pilot TV podcast, way more than it does in the Empire one. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, the difference between like film embargoes, TV embargoes, mm. but also like more specifically, have there been any like really frustrating embargoes over the years of doing pilot? And also maybe more directed at Boyd, but any embargoes you've broken that you've actually gotten into trouble for? We've broken embargoes yeah. intentionally. We've broken them accidentally. Uh, but not generally it is by accident. Like when we break them, it's normally just, oh yeah, it is embargoed. Shit, I completely forgot about that. Uh, but I think we, well, like, with the exception of today, we do generally play by the rules. So if it's embargoed, we will, will try not to do it. I think some films do get embargoed till literally the day of release. It does happen, and it's almost always because they're terrible. Not exclusively, <laughs> but almost always because they're terrible. No, unless it's a Marvel movie yeah. in which it's embargoed yeah. till like the day before yeah. for other reasons. Yeah. Not that it's terrible. Yeah, no, that's true. So it doesn't... Whereas with TV shows, I think because they, they run, oftentimes it's like the first episode will be embargoed until that episode airs. Like certain networks have a very specific habit of doing it. It can be maddening for us, obviously trying to do a podcast. I think the most annoying ones, and I'm not naming anyone Paramount Plus, but when you are embargoing a show until the day it airs, when it has literally aired in the States months ago, like that is maddening. Yeah. Uh, and I get why they do it because they're trying to control the conversation and when it starts. But obviously from our point of view, it's just like, Really? Yeah. yeah, that publicists say that the reason for their embargoes is that they can control the coverage of a show in TV world. Um, and so we're all, all, we all know that on this day, you s suddenly all the reviews are out and all the coverage at the same time, that helps them. And you can see that makes sense. But funnily enough, when like HBO very confidently sent out six episodes <laughs> of, of um, this show. What's it called again? House, House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. <laughs> there you go. They very confidently sent out House of the Dragon, I would say, like over a week before it's, you know, 10 yeah. days maybe before it. Yeah. Some, I think they sent it to some people even earlier than that, actually, annoyingly. Um, and they have an embargo. They haven't said you have to each, an embargo on each episode. Yeah. You can, can refer to everything, well, without spoilers, but you can review that all the six episodes we've all seen. They know they've got a good show on their hands. Yeah. They're confident. And funnily enough, you know, another show that's not as good, you won't get shown it and given it. And they won't let you watch six episodes. And so that happens a lot. And so it's not, I think they can use that excuse that it's to control coverage. But really, if they're confident they've got a brilliant show and they want all the critics to get behind it, they will give it to you in advance. So it's no, it's no accident, I think. It seems like, you know, it varies. You, what you, you kind of Disney Plus will give you a show sometimes two weeks in advance, sometimes it's the next day. And invariably, there's a correlation between how good the show is and how well, much in advance. But like the Marvel and Star Wars ones are kind of almost blanket embargo to like a day before or two days before. Like they're, they're always, because we never review them the week before. Yeah. 
Okay, that's true. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. So, yeah, it can be a, it can be a little bit random. But yes, it's maddening. It is maddening. Uh, and you have to... Re- it takes a long time. But just one quick... Yeah, like um, that five days in um, uh, the Hurricane Katrina series. Yes. Oh, yeah. Which, um, like, I thought... I reviewed it in Heat magazine. And then I only found... I think they changed the embargo after we'd already... Like, things like that happen. You think... You see the embargo date and then they change it and they don't tell you. And like, if they want, I think, yeah, it just ends up being annoying. Yeah, fair enough. There you go. So you got Boyd on a tear there. Uh, yes, gentlemen, also quite a nice beard. Go on. There's a theme here. Hi, congratulations on 200. I don't know if anybody's been keeping up with this season of Trying. It's one of my favorite shows on Apple TV. But similar to Ted Lasso, another very heartwarming comedy on uh, Apple TV season two and this season three have gone from heartwarming comedies to almost very distressing dramas at times. <laughs> and even though I'm not entitled my warm, fuzzy feelings, I sometimes feel comfort shows become less comfort shows. So I'm just curious if you've been seeing either of those shows or other shows that go from a very lighthearted, this is where I just go to feel good every week. And now with their total creative license and liberty to do so are telling news stories, but sometimes you feel unsettled at the, the shift in tone, maybe one way or the other in any, any given show. Well, I think the second season of Ted Lasso is more horrifying than anything I've seen in House of the Dragon, to be honest. <laughs> Nothing shook me to my core more than what happened with, oh hmm. my God, what's his name? Nate the Great. Who? Nate the Great. Nate's Nate the Great, yeah. yeah. Horrifying. Because yeah. you go in expecting the same like tonic that you did with the first season, and it was a tonic. I would go as far as to say it was like such a significant thing for so many people in like a really horrible, horrible year. So to go to that to like the sheer horror of season two is <laughs> like, and it's like, obviously it's fine. It's not people getting ripped open in childbirth and stuff. It's just like people not being very nice to each other, but it hurts. Like it hurt me. Yeah, try, I have been keeping up on trying. Trying, they do a brilliant thing on trying. Where yeah, like the, that first episode is like dev, like might, you're you're devastated. You think the kids might be sp- split yeah. to the part of the brother and sister, and but and yet in the end, it's incredibly hot. And they almost do every single episode. There's some thing crisis moment. It's brilliantly done where you're absolutely on the verge of devastation, and then they pull it back, and it's completely warm and fuzzy again by the end of the thirty minutes, pretty much every single time. So that, that I think that I love that show. Yeah, and they do a brilliant job somehow making it as you say, more dramatic and emotional all the way through. There's a lot of emotion in that show, but it, it, somehow it's still like incredibly enjoyable to go through it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Terry also agrees, I'm sensing. Well, I think um, Catastrophe went through a similar thing, and I think it's oh, yeah. part of just keeping the dramatic tension going and keeping people engaged over multiple seasons and always having that dramatic driver going through it and I think ultimately they do come back to the same place they just put you through the ringer before you get there yeah true next I'm going to go you first because you're right in the middle of the front row and that's and also you're wearing a Rossinante t-shirt and for that reason alone you get a question that's from The Expanse just in case you're wondering of course thank you um I'm wondering what would be your favourite single arc or single season villain in a show? Someone who just turns up maybe a guest for a particular story. Oh, that's a very difficult thing to just do off the fucking cuff. But Terry has something, I can sense. I'm going to say Fleabag season two, 
Olivia oh, yeah. Coleman, evil stepmother. Yeah. Absolute Solid. from that very She's that, amazing. You what? She's amazing. Yeah, she is. Thanks. Um, but that but that scene in the in the restaurant, like mm. just the I mean her never has a villain been more built from the bricks of passive aggression. It's <laughs> just impeccable. And the the night where she makes a waitress with the champagne and oh, it's just I think she is incredible in that. Yeah. I don't know. I see Villain's a very specific thing. I, it's weird to use villain, but actually one of my favourites is Forrest Whitaker in The Shield, who is, on the face of it, not even the villain, because in many ways he's the good guy. He is a righteous cop who wants to uncover corruption, but he's 100% the villain of the series, because you root for Vic, even though he's a crook, and this guy who wants to, to shine a light on him, who wants to get him caught, you 100% don't want him to succeed. And actually, I think and the way they play that season out the way he actually becomes almost a proper villain by the end of it because he tries to become like Vic to catch Vic and ultimately we'll take it from Vic but we won't take it from him I thought that was beautifully well done and Forrest Whitaker obviously brilliant in everything but in particular in that I think the best villain of recent like recent very recent that I've seen for a long time is Clace Bang in, um, oh. in um, Bad Sisters Ooh. which is you know Sean Horgan's new show on Apple TV he is um, he's a fucking monster that character and he does it so well he's so creepy every single word that comes out of his mouth every movement he kind of whispers things at the various to his wife and the other characters that are just he is just a disgusting human being and Close Bang does that so well so he, he's I can't kind of get anyone else in, in mind apart from that because it's kind of dominating my every thought because I'm, I'm halfway through watching that mm. and there are 10 episodes of that um, he, he is a raging bellend in yeah. the show. I mean, way more. That bellend is nowhere near a big enough word for what he is. Yeah. <laughs> He's redefining bellend. I'm going to pull from a show that I didn't love, but I loved this performance in it. And that was, she says, looking at her smartphone under the table, Erin <laughs> Kellyman uh, as Carly in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I just love a misunderstood villain. And she was someone I was really rooting for, even when she was a down and out wrong and And, uh, great performer as well I think mm. she, she's fantastic she's in some good stuff coming up as well I think she says blindly off the top of her head but yeah she was fighting a good cause you can understand why she was doing what she was doing I was sad when she didn't win to be honest I remember nothing about that show I, absolutely <laughs> nothing which for you is unbelievable you remember the name of every minor character in every single episode yeah, not a clue no idea whatsoever right someone without a beard like this is the real name right, you, you do not have a beard a well done go Yes, you. Yes, yes, yes. Joy, Joy Division, Division t-shirt as well. Oh, we'll get a mic. Yeah. Oh, you need a microphone. That's right. <laughs> I, I'm choosing people in the middle of the rows just to spite you. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. So given that we're about to get a new prime minister and most of us have no choice about this whatsoever, <laughs> um, what fictional TV character would you actually like to be running the country right now? Amazing oh, question. Good. That is an amazing you question. You know what I'm going to say, don't uh, you? Yes. Jed Bartlett. Of course. Obviously, it's the only correct answer to this question. It's Jed Bartlett. I want Murray Bartlett from the White List. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what that... I mean, that's basically what Turned Down in Street is, is what every party night that he has in the White I'm pretty sure Boris Johnson shit the suitcase at some point. So actually... Uh, 100%. I've no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'd quite like... I mean, Ted Lasso would be quite good, I think. And maybe Brett Goldstein's character. What's Brett's character called? Um, Oh, my God. Roy. Yeah. I'd love him as Prime Minister. Roy would be amazing (sighs) running the country. And he had more of a chance because, of course, Ted is American. So that's not, although you've already chosen American, so that's fine. Well, you just love a prime minister called Roy. Yeah, yeah. the most British thing <laughs> yeah. ever, Derek. Yeah, Keith. Keith. <laughs> yeah. Naming Keith from the office. Oh. 
Yeah, he'd be good. Eating um, a scotch egg. Yes. Right, anyone else? Yes, you just there. Yes, I see, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. Lob it, just like hurl it overhand. Don't say that. Hiya. Um, recently, you guys reviewed Raw, the Apple TV show. I watched a couple episodes and didn't carry on. And then I was watching Gogglebox the other day, and they watched an episode from that with Merritt Weaver involving a duck and a very uh, <laughs> uh, awkward, compromising situation. I'm just wondering if any of you watched that episode and what you thought. I didn't make it to that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to watch you'll it now. If you made it. <laughs> I was told to watch it, yeah. I felt it was annoying that because it's a different story each, each episode. Uh, yeah, and I hadn't... I watched like random two or three episodes and not that one. And then, and then everyone, after being on Gogglebox, you're like, okay, I need to watch it. And it is. Yeah, insane, please, isn't it? please, can you watch it and talk yes. about it? Because I just, yes. I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, everyone should see it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, wow. It is insane. Okay, all right. That's a deal. I'm going to watch it for next week now. I mean, I love Merritt Weaver. Yes. She clearly loves this duck, so. Yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> and then watch the Gogglebox episode too, because that's really good. James, James won't watch Gogglebox. I do love a bit happen. of Gogglebox, yes. Have you ever seen it? No, well, you made me watch it, do you oh, remember? Yeah, yeah oh, you made me watch Gogglebox. And then I watched some celebrity Gogglebox that had Rob Lowe and his sons watching something. Yeah. And I just I don't understand what the appeal of this shit is. I just can't even... I mean, I get, like, the British one, and they're just ridiculous stereotype, like that sort of older Tory couple who's in there going, oh, darling, look at this, it's ridiculous. They're normal people, James. No, they know. Like, I don't know, everyone just feels a little bit like that. I think they're normal people in the way that people on a lot of reality shows are normal people, where they have been specifically chosen for their, you know, their look it's or like their particular... It's like a brother and a sister in Blackpool who are perfectly normal human beings. There's shop. Like, if you've ever left London, you might meet some people. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else? Right at the very back. Oh. <laughs> Come on. It's cardio. Come on, it's great. <laughs> oh, look at these guys. Oh, that's nice. nice. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, do you have any shows that you really enjoyed watching growing up and you've since revisited them and the scales have fallen <laughs> from your eyes? <laughs> or are there shows like that where you know objectively they're terrible but your opinion won't be changed at all? That's um, a good question. Yes. Uh, look. So I, th I think it's difficult. So I think some shows you do watch when you're young and don't have any taste, and you watch them again, and you're like, oh, that's not very good at all. Uh, but then there's also the fact, you have to bear in mind, like, when we were kids, like, a lot of the TV just wasn't that good. And it's something that was sort of possibly average. It was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen! And then you watch it now in comparison to the stuff we watch now, and it's dreadful. Like, it doesn't hold up at all. Like, we've talked about this with shows before, where we watched it. Are you going to watch any more? No. But if this had come out in 1995, I would be addicted to yeah. it. It would be the yeah. greatest thing ever on television. But it's like a different era. Like, who was around for my presentation of Ultraviolet this morning? Right? Like, when I saw that, I'm like, this is the best thing I have ever seen. And then you watch it now and you're like, mm, okay, is it? No, probably not. Yeah. Terry, no, have none of that, are you? No, I've, just, I've always had great taste. Oh, have you? Have you <laughs> sure. Okay. It is amazing how, if you watch, I, I sometimes watch episodes of really, really old TV that I loved at the time. Like, I, like Doctor Who, I'm a massive Who fan. I've watched, I think I've watched every episode of Doctor Who since I was a kid, since the John Pertwee era, probably. Part of the reason I didn't buzz quick enough today in the quiz to name all the doctors, doctors was because whenever I go back and watch, I know people religiously, I know lots of people on Twitter who religiously re watch Doctor Who from start to finish and they, 
I can't watch those really old episodes because they're so, I don't know, there's something very basic. Not, not about the writing, just the way they're made and some of the acting. I find it really difficult to watch old episodes of Doctor Who, even though I love that show. So that's an example of, you know, it, TV has become so sophisticated yeah. the way mm. it's made now yes. that anything almost about five years ago or beyond, it's quite hard to deal with it sometimes. Even like really, really, really good shows. It's mm. incredible the difference between how they made TV then to now. Like I've gone to bat for Farscape a lot in <laughs> the past. And I still, there is a still, and I made you watch it as I recall. And, like, and I was re-watching it recently and I was like... Yeah, like they do some really, and they do do some incredibly progressive, interesting things. There's a whole thing where they have two Crichtons in it. They do two parallel storylines, which is it's genius. But it is still a science fiction show with Muppets. Like ultimately, like that's, <laughs> and it's quite difficult to get past that sometimes. So, like, I think maybe it's not the masterpiece I once thought it was, <laughs> but I, I have affection for it still. I mean, that's fair. I don't know. I, I sit quite firmly in the Terry camp. I did have pretty, pretty solid taste. But I think it's just the ick factor, isn't it? You go back and you watch things, certain episodes of Buffy, for example, and you just say, oh, no. Oh, that doesn't fly. There's an episode with a swimming coach I watched recently that... Uh, oh, the evil swimming coach. The evil swimming yeah. coach. Just a lot of... A lot of sexual assault in that show that mm. was passed off as like. Well, I think geez. also looking at Buffy through the prism of its creator now, you oh, see it very, very yeah. differently. Yeah. So, yeah, as I say, uh, icky. Yeah, more a, than a, like a I, 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 that's objectively terrible. But also like the production values when they're shooting their night scenes and it's clearly like fucking midday, but they've desaturated the print. And you're like, <laughs> who are you kidding? Honestly. Um, Right, yeah. anyway, right, next next question. We've got time for a couple more. Oh, I, okay. I'm going to choose someone on the end just because it's late and I know you want to go home. <laughs> this gentleman on the end here. Um, what upcoming television series are you excited for the most? Why later season two? Instantly. Yes, I can't, yeah, that's a very good answer. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. I'll have a think. Oh, girl, it's difficult. Yeah, it's the thinking, isn't it? Oh, you know what I'm really excited about, actually, is This England, which is, the, oh. the, which is yeah, <laughs> the Boris Johnson drama uh, um, yeah. that's coming up on Sky. Who's um, that, Branagh? Yeah? Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh playing yeah. Boris Johnson, yeah. 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 Um, uh, and I can't wait for that, yeah. I feel so, don't you feel, confl- I feel so conflicted about it. No. Because well, there's, there, isn't, there isn't the, like, passage of time, like, there hasn't even been, like, a COVID inquiry everybody's still kind of somewhere in power. Like, normally you have a... And maybe that's just about what we find palatable, but normally there's a passage of time and, like, a respectable <laughs> difference. He's still fucking squatting in 10 Downing Street. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I, fa- I just find it mad. Like... But I think it's going to be quite, like, it's devastating be amazing. for him. Yeah. And like, but I've just... Something about it gives me the ick. It's Michael, so Winter, Michael Winterbottom. I love, I'm a big Michael Winter, I think I love Michael Winterbottom. And he, the fact that he's written and directed most of it, yeah. um, I think it's really exciting. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. James? I have no idea. <laughs> I've gone past the point of tiredness today. Like, right. I just, I can what's, barely... your, what's your computer game button? My, my computer <laughs> oh, yeah. game one. Yeah, well, you... The Last of Us! There yes, thank you for... It's 100% <laughs> The Last of Us. Yes! Oh, thank you. Save me there. Uh, yeah, no, that, 100% that. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm terrified by it. But also... Desperate to see it. Yeah. Yes, that is 100% mm. the correct answer to The Last of Us. Yeah. Right, we're going to have one more question oh. because these guys are literally going to throw us out and I'm going to give it to you there. Yes. Um, so we can get one more mic into the middle of the row. Probably best to come from that side, but... Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. It was me. It was It you. was me. Otherwise, this um, just gets really awkward, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I've got an unjust, like, unjust like that question. Sorry to end on that, this everyone. Um... 
when you were talking about it, it was making me think, would you rather we just had the original series, that was it, or are you glad that we've had something else, even if it's not been anywhere near perfect? Well, <laughs> look, knowing what we know now with hindsight, they should have absolutely left it at the end yeah. of the TV series. But it's one of those things where once one bit happens, then the rest of it kind of has to. So the first film didn't... It, it, I actually quite liked the first film, but there's something not quite resolved around it. Um, the second film, as we all know, is an absolute car crash, a horrendous piece of filmmaking that should never be allowed to be shown in any public forum or private forum ever again until <laughs> the world ends. Um, I mean, and that was just... Ugh. So many questions about that. Um, mainly why and what were you thinking? Um, and ugh. Anyway, but... And just like that, it felt like something had to happen because they'd so fucked it up so spectacularly with the second film. Like, they couldn't leave it like that. Yeah. But again, now there's something unsatisfying about that series. So, and so I kind of feel like we're going to be having some form of Sex in the City on the big or small screen until we all die because yeah. they keep having to make new ones to kind of make what just went before kind of okay. <laughs> That's how I feel. Just eternal do-overs. Yeah. I'm, I'm never bothered about I always think it's fine. Like, sequels to shows that were, you know, went down decades ago. I don't think ever besmirches. The, sh- the original Sex and City will always be there as a historically great, game-changing series at its height. And I don't think the terrible second film and the abomination of that or the semi-abomination of, of this series, <laughs> that, you know, some of it was, and some of it was fine. It was like, it was like a roller coaster, wasn't it? It's the plot developments that undermine the stuff. So but you can't go me. back and watch the telly. I don't the think telly. they do. It doesn't undermine the original for me. It doesn't have any effect on the original. I never, it just don't give a shit. It's just a different <laughs> thing. This is a different thing. But it's thing. not, it's a continuation of the same thing. And then you're watching a thing where you're just going, well, you're just going to fuck that up in 20 years and you're yeah. going to cheat on, like, Aiden's wife with Aiden when you would like the whole thing it becomes a house of cards and it all falls down and what was the point in any of it and what a note to end on (laughs) (laughs) that's I am sorry to say is it for our live 200th episode of the pilot tv podcast huge thanks to king's place for having us throughout this utterly deranged 12 hour folly (laughs) Uh, to last exit to nowhere for giving us t-shirts to matt berry corin hardy and ollie shuka to our legendary screenwriters sarah phelps joe barton sophie petzel and jack rook to ben channon and the bbc for giving us the capture to the brilliant sophie butcher who helped me pull the quiz together at the last minute despite my protestations of saving it from quite frankly not getting done and most of all to all of you for coming out today as well so we do love doing this podcast uh, and none of that would be possible if you guys didn't listen to it uh, that said if you haven't already given us a fucking five star rating <laughs> I swear to god go now and give us one I need it and while you're at it please do follow us on social media at James C. Dyer at Terry L Y underscore white, depending on whatever platform you're on at Boyd Hilton at Beth K Webb and of course at Pilot TV Pod Next week, I'm taking a fucking holiday, so I honestly don't care what they're covering, but I think the new Lord of the Rings show is probably Thank you to James, who is a a broken man. (laughs) That was worth it. We love you, really. This has been the absolute death of me. Um, All that is left, however, is for us to wish you a very heartfelt goodbye from Terry White. Goodbye. Thank you. From Boyd Hilton. Thank you. From Beth Webb. And from myself, it has been brilliant. I love you all. Pilot out. (laughs) Woo!